I think that there was a pathologization, right? Whenever you look at safety alone, like every mom and every baby has to make it through birth unscathed. As you mentioned, you know, in, in your intro, there's going to be some bad things that happen and we can't always avoid that. But what we've been, what we as humans who are really dis- disconnected from our own mortality, what we've, what we've sort of come to conclude is, you know, we're willing to compromise everything, including the person, as long as we can ensure healthy mom, healthy baby. And what that actually translates to is you both have a pulse in your breathing when you leave the hospital. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if the experience was traumatic or if you didn't hear, feel heard, or if you feel actually um, like the birth experience actually left you in a worse space than when you started. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is OBGYN Dr. Nathan Riley. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, I have a very interesting, exciting guest who is not only our family OBGYN, but he has become a great friend of ours, as you will learn in the podcast. That's Nathan Riley, MD, the doctor of birth, life, and death. Dr. Riley is not only a specialist at birth, but he also does hospice work and helps people transition out of the world. We will also have Angie Check joining us today, and she will share her experience of being in the hospital giving birth to Zoe with Nathan and the many challenges and trials and tribulations and stress that she went through in her birthing process and that I went through, her mother went through, and our midwife went through supporting her and how we ultimately ended up needing Nathan's help to deliver Zoe in an emergency situation. We'll talk about natural versus hospital birth, how the whole pregnancy and birthing process has been convoluted by the medical system. We'll talk about the lacking awareness of the responsibility and rigors of becoming pregnant and being a mother. We'll get into some issues of vaccines. We'll talk about what fathers need to be educated on, aware of, and expect and prepare for. There is a lot more I would like to talk to Nathan Riley about, and we'll do so in future episodes of Living 4D. But today we got a great chance to meet him and hear some true stories from Angie and I and Nathan about the real issues of becoming pregnant, being pregnant, and the challenges of being in hospitals versus home birth and the real challenges of just being a parent and how it can really stretch you. I really hope you enjoy this podcast with Nathan Riley, Angie Check, and myself. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check and my special guest today, my wife, Angie Check, will be along for the ride to add her special juice to the mix. And we are interviewing one of my favorite people in the whole world and definitely my favorite doctor in the whole world. Nathan Riley, MD. Nathan, welcome. Paul, it's, it's a pleasure sitting between two of my favorite people awesome. on the planet. <laughs> so the title of our podcast today is The Doctor of Birth, Life, and Death, because Nathan is not only an OBGYN, but he does help people in the final stages of transition. That's right. You call it hospice medicine, right? I do hospice medicine. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but that is really the transitional state, isn't it? Well, so my uh, residency training was in OBGYN, which is what everybody thinks about. Premenopausal, postmenopausal, maternity care, women's health, palliative care, and hospice medicine was my fellowship training. That's actually what brought me down to San Diego, where I got to meet you guys uh. um, at UC San Diego. And what that is, is it's, it's either communication, symptom management through palliative care as a person is 
dealing with complex medical illness. Mm-hmm. But then hospice care is whenever you have a, a, a sort of conclusive uh, prognosis, so to speak, of more or less six months of life. And mm-hmm. so it's the transitional space towards the very end of our time here as humans um, and everything that comes with that. So, mm, uh, Which can be a lot. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Absolutely. So there's a history between uh, Nathan and Angie and I and I'm going to just introduce my experience with Nathan first, then Angie's going to share a deeper process that brought us into harmony together. Uh, my intro will, will be brief, but um, because Angie's going to share a lot more detail as a mother and a woman who needed Nathan's help uh, more specifically than I did, because I wasn't the one giving birth. Thank the Lord for that. But uh, Never say never, Paul. <laughs> well, yeah. I give birth to books and courses and concepts and, <laughs> you know, may occasionally a good bowel movement, which feels a lot lovely. It's crowning! <laughs> it's as far as I can get with the birthing process. But uh, we had an OBGYN for our first child, and we did a lot of research to find him. And we've talked about him on a previous podcast, but it just turned out that he was away on vacation and you were his fill-in. Yeah. He asked me to cover his practice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we planned a a home birth for the second one as we did the first one, but Angie can tell you all the details. Uh, I just want to sort of talk about my relationship with you. You know, when I... First of all, I don't really like the medical system. I don't, it's not that I don't appreciate it for its emergency capacities. I've had a lot of broken bones. I've had internal bleeding. I've had a major concussion where I was unconscious for multiple days. So doctors have been very beneficial to me. And as a therapist, I've also seen Uh, how a lot of people got screwed up from surgeries that weren't Mm. necessary or that were diagnosed incorrectly. I've had endless, countless cases of people addicted to medically uh, prescribed drugs, many of which they didn't need. So I have sort of this (laughs) love-hate medical relationship. I'm always like, okay, what's today going to bring? So when... when, um, our doctor was gone and you were his fill-in. Angie and I were like, okay, this is, we don't know what we're going to get. Yeah. And I was just crossing my fingers that, okay, I'm not, I hope I don't have to go through hell with this guy. Um, so the long and the short of it that, that I'd like to share and the reason I wanted you on the podcast is because our experience with you was not only significantly better than the doctor that we searched out that were, was touted as the best guy in San Diego, and we were both really grateful that he was on vacation because of the experience we had, but you were very open to holistic approaches. It wasn't like I had to reinvent the wheel with you. Mm-hmm. You weren't irritated or threatened by all the things we brought to the hospital, be it kind of biogeometry technology to food to everything that we brought, but you were like, oh, wow, this is really good, asking questions. You immediately searched us on the internet and figured out we weren't your average country pumpkin. And so you kind of showed me, wow, he's like on his game, this guy, which you know, he's actually willing to do some research on his own. 
But then the whole experience, and later we can talk about the vaccine issue, but the you created a protective field around us so that we weren't constantly every five minutes getting pestered 24 hours a day for Angie to take this vaccine, that vitamin K, and I mean literally around the clock. They mm-hmm. were just driving us nuts with yeah. this, even though we told them we're not interested, we've done our research. So by the time we got out of the hospital, you know, Angie and I were like, thank freaking God for Nathan Riley. So my experience was, excuse me, so positive that, as you know, I got a hold of you after and said, hey, I want to give you a thank you. So I invited you up to my office, the Heaven House, and shared some love with you, stacked some rocks. <laughs> we did a painting together. We did a little healing ceremony, kind of a closure mm-hmm. ceremony together. And that was just a, a great experience. And then our friendship has been ongoing and our exchange of concepts, ideas, resources. So it's been a, a great experience for me. Uh, I have had MD friends like that that are very open. And unfortunately, they're just very hard to find. I worked with an orthopedic surgeon named Chuck Rowland, who was just mind-blowingly good. And his wife, Melinda Rowland, was a expert at cranial sacral therapy, an elite physical therapist, owned a physical therapy clinic. So he had his wife to balance him out. Um, Bill Previte, who was the orthopedic surgeon that I found to be the most reliable and the best surgeon I've ever worked with, is who I've referred elite athletes to for many years. But unfortunately, he recently retired, which kind of blew my mind because, you know, he just came out of residency and was working in the clinic I was at with 22 orthopedic, I mean, 22 physical therapists and 13 surgeons. And he was there for his orthopedic residency and ended up being sta- staying there. But when he emailed me recently and said, I'm retiring, I realized, God, I must be getting old because he's now been a doctor for like 30 years and he's retiring. And I remember when he first started. Oh, yeah. Know, like, kind of like <laughs> you sure. coming out of residency, you yeah. know? And, yeah. And so. Um, yeah, I was still in my fellowship when we met. Right. Actually, so, yeah. So the point I'm making is, is I, without going through an exhaustive list, I have had amazing friendships with amazing medical doctors, but for every one of those, there's 40 or 50 that are just totally indoctrinated, blind, yeah. don't listen, don't want to just dialogue on things and just drop the ax on you if you don't agree with their opinion and consider you some kind of a problem or mm-hmm. a threat to their existence or something. So thank God that you're here. Thank God that you're doing what you're doing because I believe you and men like you and women like you are pioneering um, what medicine really should be. And so wow. I appreciate that. Grateful. Thank you. So Angie wants to, to share her experience uh, with Nathan and, and what ultimately <coughs> led us to really valuing him. So fire away, baby. All right. So I guess I'll have to start as we were <clears throat> planning a home birth. And so it's just like Mana was wanting to do this home birth. And so I was getting a second chance to get this home birth. I've, if everybody knows my story from Mana, he was a Frank Breach baby and mm-hmm. ended up having to go to the hospital and then have to do an emergency, what they called emergency C-section because they said I had an anterior placenta as well. So when I was contracting, it was pushing on his umbilical cord and I was lock- losing blood to his brain. So they're like, you could have a brain dead child if you tried to attempt natural birth. Sure. So we, we went humming and hawing of that. We were watching the baby and we're like, you know what, let's just take the baby out. So that's what happened with Mana. So this time I was like, okay, I'm getting my home birth. I'm, this, we're doing it. And so, you know, I, I 
really planned the whole thing out. I had my whole house into this baby arsenal. It was just like I had just built and nested like completely. I had my homeopathics. I had my essential oils. I had my whole room set up. I had a blow up uh, bathtub. You know, I had the whole thing. I was just really excited about this birth. And I had a midwife and two doulas that were working with me. I'm just imagining like you had it all set up. and For the second time. For the second time. So I was even more prepared than the first time. It's like I even took additional courses on natural birthing. And so she didn't exercise too much. Yeah. The first time. I exercised way too much, and that's when they say that he was my abs were too tight, yeah. and so the baby yeah. couldn't flip. So they tried to actually flip that baby, and he kept on going b- back up. And then my um, midwives were like, "You know what? It's just that you're so tight. The baby knows it can't; it's compressed, so it was going back up." And so, yeah, so I, I didn't exercise that much the second time. I was doing yoga, walking, you know, stretches. That's what I did for the second baby. And I had like lists all over my house, like in my room, in my bathroom, about what to take if I'm having this problem, back pain, this pain, what homeopathic. So everybody knew what wow. I needed to do. I mean, it was just set up. I had ice packs, cold Did your packs, homework. <laughs> did everything. And like um, Mama Natural, mamanatural.com mm-hmm. is a great website and great resource for um, people, women and parents, you know, I guess not just the woman, but the husband too, to prepare for a natural birth because they have... Um, great courses on how to do a natural birth, what to prepare for it. And so I watched it the second time. So I, even though I had an idea what a baby was going to be like, I still didn't know all the, it's like you, you don't know all everything until it happens. You never know. You never know. And so. <laughs> Lesson uh, one. Yes. And so. We know now. So I, I was. You never know. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. Right? And so I was feeling really good because the baby was in place. She had flipped properly. And I'm like, yes, the baby's not breached, you know. So um, we looked really good. And so I was being monitored by my midwife and she, uh, my blood pressure was always really low the entire mm-hmm. pregnancy, mm-hmm. just ridiculously low, like 80 over 50, 80, yeah. it's really low. Sure, sure. And so two days before my uh, due date, my blood pressure started to rise and she came over to my house and she's like, it's a hundred over 90 or, so, or something. It was like 120 over 90, which isn't high, but was ridiculously high for me. So she's like, well, why don't you go for a walk a little bit and see if that helps? So I went for a walking back and it went down a little bit and she's like, lay down for a while, see what happens. And she's like, you know, I'm just not comfortable mm-hmm. with you having a home birth with your blood pressure that high. She goes, you know, you could stroke out. This could be preeclampsia. This could be a ma- major issue. She goes, let's just go to the hospital. We'll do a simple test. We'll see what it is. If it's not preeclampsia, we can come home and have that natural home birth. And I said, that sounds good to me. So I was all about being safe. I was like, I wanted a home birth, but I wasn't going to be stupid about it either. So we took off and I had my little home kit packed ahead of time because you, even though you're having a home birth, they say always have a bag for the hospital just in case because you never know. So I grabbed my bag and I said, let's just go. And, you know, and I carried it because I thought just in case I get stuck there overnight or something. And sure enough, just in case, just in case it's like famous last words. Mm-hmm. So I even um, didn't take my dog, you know, because I take my dog everywhere and she's a licensed service dog. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be there. We're coming right back. I just have to like pee in a cup or something and just do like, some. Do your your thing. Yeah. Do the thing and we'll be back. And we'll yeah. be back. So I expected to be home that evening. So we went out, it was about five, five six o'clock at night and we were, I was expecting to be home that evening. And it was like a comedy of errors as we went to the hospital. It's like, oops, our, our machine that tests preeclampsia is broken. So we have to send your sample to another hospital. So you're just going to have to wait here and we'll just monitor you and the baby until we get the results back. So we're waiting, 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 waiting. We know the machine's still backed up. They have theirs working. It's still in transit. First it was this I don't know, four, hour, excuse after four hour drive to get yeah. the sample to the other hospital. And, oh, the hospital's really busy, so they haven't had a chance to do your sample. And then it's like, well, it's getting really late. You know, it's getting co- towards midnight. Why don't you just spend the night? We'll monitor you. I'm like, all right. 
next morning, you know, we're not really sure about that sample. So let's just collect your urine now. So we're going to collect it for 24 hours. And while you're here, just start peeing this jug. So I'm like, great. And then it was like, well, we, we think, uh, it says that, you, I guess they got the results at some point and said, we, we pretty much ruled out it's not preeclampsia, but we don't know why your blood pressure is high. And that's, you know, and let me go back up about this whole story. Like we said, Dr. Kapodinakis was my doctor. And when I was driving there to the hospital, I was like, I don't have a doctor, but I remembered him referring you. And so he says, if you call my number, it'll call your number. So I just went ahead and they said, you can text as well. So I text Dr. Cap's number and I was like, hi, um, you don't know me, <laughs> but um, I'm having a baby. And, uh, and I, I said, I'm having to go to the hospital. I think everything's going to be fine. They're just ruling out preeclampsia. But just in case I get admitted, would you be able to help me? Because I'm thinking, I don't want just Joe Schmo doctor there. And I was pretty confident that Dr. Cap would have a good, because he's a really great doctor. I thought he's not going to just hire some, he knows my values about, yeah. you know, I didn't want, I want minimal, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Heroics? What are you? Not heroics. Yeah, interventions. Interventions. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And so some of them are very heroic. <laughs> yes. And so I thought he he knows my value. So I'm like I I, I felt strongly that that I'd choose you because even though I didn't meet you, that it was a referral by him. So I'm like I don't want just any doctor at this hospital. And so, you know, I was just like, kudos to you. Cause I remember talking to my midwife and I'm like, okay, I just email, um, text message this doctor. And we immediately got back to you. And he's like, you're like, you know what? You're, you're not on list, but um, don't worry about it. just come in. And I told my midwife, she was like, wow. She immediately was like, who's that doctor? Cause she was like, she didn't think he would say yes. Cause she's like liability. Uh, you know, he's sure. not, you know, she's uh, Dr. Cap had uh, signed me off and admitted, said, released me to the midwife. And so, you know, what would happen? And so she's like, wow, that's really amazing that he actually did that. I'm like, well, I'm stoked. So at least we have a doctor. So when I got there, I'm like, yes, I'm with Dr. Riley. You know, so I knew your name at that point. And they're like, okay. And so um, we had a doctor on call that in case I needed anything. Yeah. And Doogie Hauser at that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, um, so then what happened is I met you and you're like, okay. I said, listen, I'm trying to have this natural birth, but my blood pressure is up. We don't know why. And it turned out it just was my natural birthing process. I guess some women their blood pressure goes up. And so that's what was happening to me. So it never was raised any higher. It just stayed that high. And then when I went into labor, it actually kind of lowered or stayed the same. It never got worse. But you know, when I met you, you said, you know, Ange, maybe you want to just stay here because we don't know that we haven't got all this. It's inconclusive of why you don't want to stroke out. If we're here, we need to give you uh, medications. You know, you can immediately administer them to you. If you're at home, there's nothing you can do. And I'm like, you know, as much as I want a natural childbirth at home, I don't want to die over this, you know, yeah, and, and right. leave a child without a mother because I was too, you know. Which right, would just, mean that I would die trying to deal with the problem. <laughs> right. and Penny would shoot me for bringing her into this yes. very challenging situation. Yeah, like, yeah. Here, Penny, yeah. here's a newborn baby. You take care of it. So I was like, that doesn't sound wise. So I was like, you know what? Let's just stay here and make it happen. And, and so it wasn't my dream, but it was like, let's just work with it. And so um, we were in the hospital, of course, after a day, my, it was my due date. And they're like, you know, we can't send you home. So if you don't go into labor, we might have to, you know, that's the, the start of the interventions. We're going to give you some Pitocin and get this ball rolling. And I'm like, you know, and I talked to you about it. I'm like, I'm really not crazy about any of this. I said, but I've, you know, I knew about some natural things. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, doctor, I, um, I don't know if you know about this, but there's this red raspberry tea and I'm just going to start drinking it. And I said, it's a, you know, I've been drinking a little bit during my third trimester and it, every time I drink it, I get these uterine contractions. Mm -hmm. I get the Braxton Hicks reaction and, and then it goes away. So I know it's not the thing, but it's strengthening my uterus. I said, but I heard that when you're on your due date, you can do this due date labor tea and you just make this like pound <laughs> of tea and you boil it to us. I was amazed by how much of that tea you, you were able to drink. I, you're I like, just, I drank this. 
this one. And I was like, giant oh my gosh. 64 ounce <laughs> thing. It was steeping like one pound of herb. Yeah, it was an yeah. excessive amount, but it was, didn't, you know, it doesn't taste good. You think raspberry yum. It just tastes like Mm-mm. dead leaves. It's not exciting at all, yeah. but I was just drinking it. Like dirt, it. actually. Dirt, yeah. yes. And so I was drinking it and I'm like, and next I could feel the Braxton Hicks happening. I'm like, okay, it's doing its job. And after a while, I'm like, this is lasting a little longer. I'm like, huh? And I'm like, you know, I'm like, hmm. So I remember texting my midwife going, um, when do I call you? <laughs> you know? And so I, and she's like, you know, just when you feel like you're in labor and she, so when they, when you know. And so I talked to the, and it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I talked to the nurse at the hospital and I said, I think I'm going into labor. And I said, you know, what do I do? And, you know, cause I was like, <laughs> and she's like, well, to be honest with you, she goes, we just put people right on, um, you know, uh, medicine. She goes, I've never seen anybody have a natural labor here. I, guess, I don't know if she was oh near or God. what, but she was like, so she's like, so I guess call your midwife because we don't do that. We just hook them up to an epidural and, you know, kind of yeah. <laughs> let the, you know, yeah. and I'm like, oh, I said, well, I don't really want to do that. And she was like, well, yeah, I see that in your notes. You don't want to, you don't want any pain, pain meds or anything. So she's like, so yeah, just call your midwife. And just hang out. Yeah. So I was like, okay, do, do, do. And it was a really traumatic story because when I was in labor, my dog ended up getting killed. I remember that. And yeah. so that was a, the whole thing was, so here I am, I was speaking of life and death. I had a yeah. life and death experience during this pregnancy. Yeah. And so um, Paul was at home still because I wasn't in full-blown labor. I said, well, don't come until I know I'm really in labor. So uh, he calls me up and I thought, oh, how sweet. He's just checking on me because it's early labor. You know, I'm just getting. And so he's like, um, I need you to be really calm right now. And I'm like, the hell is going on? He's like, I just need to breathe for a second. And I'm thinking something's not right. I'm like, what, what, what? And he's like, your dog just got killed by a coyote. Mm. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And so me and Maggie were like peas in a pod, like this bond that I don't know if you could ever replace. It was just like, she was my baby. You know, it's like, I called her my dog turd because I didn't have kids. (laughs) Dog turd. (laughs) Yes. That was my daughter. That was a dog. And so, um, so I had her since she was seven weeks old. She just had turned 13. So it was like this, you know, Mm. bond. And apparently what happened is she was looking for me, you know, and I had left and it was really interesting. I mean, just to share the story is like when I left to go to the hospital, I knew I was supposed to be back in a couple hours, but something inside me knew that something was not going to be coming home. And I, I remember seeing Maggie and said, bye, Maggie, I'm leaving you here. And I grabbed her and picked her up and was just hugging her really. And I don't mm. always do that, but I just picked her up and held her really, really tightly. It was just like something told me just give her lots of love and then I put her down and I was like didn't know that was the last time I was going to hug her and I was just like mm, makes me cry yeah, <laughs> now yeah. and so you know and so that was a very touching part of your story yeah and so you know I I just and I went and then I remember and you were so awesome because I was like even sharing that when I was going into labor and I was kind of not yet in labor and you said you know things that you love is good for you to to stimulate in labor and you even said if you want to bring your dog in I said she's a licensed therapy dog you're I'm all for it bring your dog in I thought that was really cool so I even told Penny I said hey I called her up that first night and I said you can bring Maggie and she was like you know I already left the house and she goes I'm, I'm, but I'm gonna go to the grocery store afterwards and I don't want to take the dog to the grocery store and I'm like no no don't worry um, just bring her the, tomorrow morning it'll be fine and so I didn't want her to drive back home and get the dog and so you know she came without Maggie and then um, that night when she came home from the grocery store, it was just, I think it was fate. And like she came home with a bag and the bag handle broke. The straps of the bag broke as she opened the door and she said a kombucha just splattered and crashed well, on the floor. A whole case of kombucha, glass bottles. And so she was so worried about mana and, and his and feet and everything. So she ran into the kitchen to clear it up and they were cleaning up this mess. And all of a sudden the door was left open because they were dealing with this crisis. And all of a sudden they went, where's Maggie? And so they immediately ran outside and they were calling for her and the neighbor was down the street, I guess, what I heard. And she's like, 
um, don't let the kid come here, you know, and Paul went running down and apparently she had gone around the car to look for me, you know, because I'd been yeah, gone. And yeah. so it's like, where's my mom? She, oh, they're in the car. So he, she in went outside. In the carport. In the carport. And so she went out there and a, a coyote just grabbed her by the mm. neck and then just ran her down the street and ripped her intestines mm. out. So Paul was like, what do you want to do with the body? I said, you know, just say, keep her for me. So they put her in a dog. Um, mortuary. Mortuary. freezer. That's and why, just so people listening, because women are probably going, why in the hell would her husband call her and tell her her dog was dead when she's going into labor? Because I knew she might not be home for a few days and the dog's body would rot. So I had to say, do you want me to bury the dog now? Or do you want me to see if I can f put it in the freezer until you get home and do a ceremony for mm -hmm. it? Because Angie's a shaman. So her, she, I know her that she would want to part with the dog ceremonially. But if I had to bury it, that would be hard to do. And because I know her relationship with the dog was so intimate... I asked my soul, as painful as it is, like, should I let her know now or should I wait? And my soul said, tell her now so that she can know what's going on, but also guide what you want her to do, mm -hmm. what she wants you to do, because it's her dog. So it was a tough experience for me because I'm like, this is a terrible time to have to tell Angie that her dog's dead. Yeah, so he, you know, I so saw I was, you know, and it was such an interesting because I'm having these contractions. I can feel my body shifting. Like I'm kind of, when you go into labor, you kind of like step out of reality into this oh, yeah. different dimension. Oh, yeah. And I could feel myself not quite in that reality anymore. And I, I realized I had to let that reality go. And even as painful as it was, I'm like, it's not the time. There's nothing I can do. It was like, she's gone. I need to step inside myself right now. And I had to kind of just go in. But I was still very emotional, extremely emotional about For it. Sure. And so... I remember I needed to, I wanted to call my mom and tell her. And I thought, if I call my mom in the hospital, because I had told her I'm going to the hospital with preeclampsia or, or we're questioning it. If I call her crying, she's going to think it's the baby. And I'm not going to be able to tell her fast enough and she's going to have a freak out. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I have to text my mother that Maggie died. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because I'm like, I know if I call, she's not going to think it's Maggie at all. She's going to think the baby, the baby. So I texted her. And my, at first, my mom was like, why would she text this? And then when I told her, she's like, I understand. She goes, you're right. She goes, I wouldn't, I'd be like, mom, <gasps> and she'd be like, the baby, the baby got lost yeah, it or something, right. you know, and I'm like, Maggie, so. Minor heart attack. Mm -hmm, yeah. yeah, so she able to, and so um, my mom knew I was at the hospital at this point, so she ended up surprising me down there. She just got in the car. She's like, my daughter, she just lost her baby, and now she's having another baby, and I need to be there for her. So she showed up, and it was just a great moment, because it was like, yeah, I needed my mom at this moment. <laughs> it's like and, a convergence of so much yeah. in your life right at that. Yes. It was and, very intense. Yeah, it was Even, intense. You know, it was intense for me. Mm. Yeah. Two as the father and you know having Maggie with us and she'd sleep in the bed and you know how long had we been together at that point like six years maybe uh, seven, seven years? yeah so he's two now so what seven years seven years so you know I'm not a dog person but somehow Maggie kind of grew on me and and so it was very emotional for me when she died because it was certainly not the way I wanted to see her go and We'd always known it was a risk, but the real issue was is that it just added an X factor to the whole thing that was highly stressful. And, and, and it was funny because, not funny, but funny, but uh, it, now I can laugh, but at the time they, they were monitoring my blood pressure and they kept on checking every hour or so. And the hour before this happened that I found out the news, she's like, yeah, we have to check. And she goes, you know, um, basically we're monitoring and if obviously something serious, like someone died or something, your blood pressure would go up and we know that's not because of the preeclampsia or uh, your 
you know, potential risk. And then the next minute she comes in, an hour later she comes in and my blood pressure was a little higher, not ridiculous high, but yeah. it was higher. And I had told her my dog just died. And she was like, oh yeah, like this is exactly what I was telling you about. It was like, now it happened. And I'm like having a high blood pressure yeah. because of yeah. my dog. And I think that was actually around the time. I think I eventually told them like, let's do it like every four hours or something yeah. because I wasn't concerned at that point any yeah. longer about the preeclampsia. So we're in labor. We're kind of getting... We're, we're transitioning now the the sort of attention. Yes. Um, but in a protocolized system, you know, it's every hour, got to do it, got to do it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't yeah. matter what the cause of the high blood pressure might be. I am glad that they asked you about that, though. Yeah. Because that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I remember just going to labor and they finally, I was in a regular room, I guess, in the labor ward. And they're like, okay, we have to transition you to the actual labor room. So they moved me into a bigger room, which was actually nicer because it had a little bit more walking mm-hmm. space and didn't have the bathtub that I wanted because they didn't have those at this hospital but uh, they did have a shower and stuff so it was like it was you know I made do and had a window so I got to see outside (laughs) but uh uh, yeah and I don't exactly remember when you came because like I said I was in this in and out state all I remember is I did get to meet you and I just felt really calm and like while he's listening to me like yes and looking you in the eyes yeah not like somewhere else and juggling like you weren't like overly busy you were present with me and I was just like I just felt so comfortable with that i'm like wow he's really listening to my needs and paying attention to what i wanted and i was just like wow and and then you were like really good about shooing off these nurses that were just doing pestering pestering excessive things and you'd be like and and so it was great you know and so but yeah i guess they don't normally labor at this hospital because they were not used to it and they're like wow we we, you and i mean i got as you know uh, zoe was not an easy birth so i was there for quite some time in labor and yeah, you had a couple of days. Uh, yeah, of hard hard work. <laughs> so, uh, basically, to not to drag out the story, it's, it was thirty six plus hours before um, I decided I need some drugs. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, what happened is she was asynclitic, which mm-hmm. means she her head was rotated and her shoulders were rotated. So her head was one way and her shoulders kind of like the other. Cockeyed. It's not really the the smallest diameter of the head is not lined up with your pelvic inlet, and um, yeah, it can make it very very hard for. Right. Stuff and, to move past and, that. And so the midwife I had was a very skilled uh, midwife. And uh, and she was like, you know, and uh, she had spinning babies. Um, and Nicole Franklin is her name. She's in San Diego if anybody needs a really good midwife. She and I have become good friends. She's amazing. Yeah, she was yeah. really impressed with you. And she was blown away because she's come to the term where she didn't really like medical doctors because of all the things they forced. <laughs> I <don't blame> her. <laughs> and so she was like, who is this guy? So I remember after the baby, she was telling me, she was, yeah, I'm going to have coffee with Nathan. And I'm like, that's awesome. Because she was like, I need to connect with this doctor because he's doing things differently and uh, supportive of midwife's ideas and the supportive of what the w- woman wants too, not forcing her and mm-hmm. fearing her and making her think that she has to do things yeah. differently. I actually asked her, Nicole, what do you think we should do? And she was like, uh, well, like, this is what I would do. It's like, I think that sounds fair. I mean, you know her better than I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because she knew me the entire pregnancy. Sure. You like know, she's, she's well, plus it was the second time. Second time. So she's known me yeah. for two years. You she know? knows your whole story. And yeah. that's really what we were doing is getting yeah. to know each other. Right. I can't support you if I don't know who you are. Right, right. That's what's missing, I think, in the... Absolutely, 100%. In maternity care. Right. Yeah, yeah you like, treated Angie like a human being. Most doctors treat human beings like objects or machines. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 So, 
Yeah. So that was really powerful. It's just, I remember the support and the feeling, not having to feel like I need to fight another person in the hospital. And I'm, I'm in this battle already trying to give birth to a baby. And then I'm like dealing with the doctor or something. I didn't have that stress. So mm-hmm. it was really com- comforting. And so um, uh, Nicole is really amazing about trying to flip this baby. So she was putting me in all these spinning baby positions and someone were really uncomfortable. She's like, listen, we got to move this baby up and then fix the position. And I'm like, okay. I mean, it, it got super intense and I was having back labor because the baby's head was just yeah. going against my spine. And right. that is the most excruciating pain I've ever had in my entire life. I don't think anything could top that pain. You could, you were emanating pain. Yeah, <laughs> like you, it was. You, you were seeing right through me. I was like, okay, there's. Yeah, it was the most challenge. pain I've ever had. In fact, I, w- I remember, you know, just thinking about it. I'm like, someone could cut off my arm right now and it wouldn't even phase me. Because I was like, that's how much I was like, this threshold of pain was so beyond whatever i'm like you guys you could remove my limbs and i wouldn't feel it because that's how much pain i was experiencing and i, I just it was so such a, anyways it got to so intense that there was position a position she finally put me in she goes i need to try this one and i just started throwing up and i'm like oh my gosh i'm in that much pain where your mm-hmm. body's just mm-hmm. and then my my contractions you know we, in the textbook contraction is you go up for a minute then you come down and you rest for three to five and then you go up for a minute and then you have a rest like- it was one after another so it, i could it was like a wave. The well, wave. raspberry tea works. It works. But yeah, it was this big, what, what is my body's way of trying to get this baby in the right position? So it was like, nope, switch, nope, switch, switch. But there was not enough time for me to breathe. And so I remember it was just like, I'd go up this wave and I'm like, okay, here we go. And then I'm like, okay, I'm coming down again. And like, oh, nope, you're going back up on the wave. Oh, no, oh, and I'm like, and I got to the point where I'm like, I, I, where's my rest? You know, because yeah. I'm like, I, I thought I was promised to rest after a minute, you know, and it got to the point where if I moved my head, I'd have another contraction. If I looked up, I had a contraction. If I, you know, talked, I'd have it. So it was mm-hmm. like, I was just like, I didn't want to breathe. I was like, let me just not move a muscle. And because anything moved, it was like contraction again. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, here we go again. Here we go again. And I was just... And poor Paul. Paul was a really great support during that time. Because, it was exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> There's a saying I teach all of my students. The pain is seldom where the actual problem is. For example, I've seen many cases of rotator cuff problems that wouldn't heal even after surgery. But what most doctors and therapists overlook is that the right shoulder is under influence from the liver and the left shoulder the stomach. Once we apply the principles of detoxification, support digestion, and clear parasites, presto, shoulders start healing and working beautifully again, which is always a shock to the therapists and doctors when they find out how their past client was helped by a Czech professional. After this past year, the clients we see will demonstrate this even more than ever due to using fast and often sugary foods, coffee, alcohol, smoking, and drugs as coping mechanisms while exercising less and spending more time staring at screens. But if you learn to see people holistically, like I teach my students in Holistic Lifestyle Coaching Level 1, you begin to see the true source of our illnesses and injuries. HLC-1 teaches you many essential approaches to health and well-being, such as how to assess what key body systems are under too much stress and how to restore balance, the importance of identifying a realistic dream goal or objective that inspires each individual to stick to their healing program and make the short and long-term changes that are necessary, my universally applicable 1-2-3-4 formula for assessing and correcting challenges, how to breathe optimally to enhance energy levels and mental clarity, how to use gentle movements to work in and enhance life force energy and support optimal immune function, how the function and health of the soil that food is grown in influences all systems of the body, including our mental emotional stability and much more. 
HLC1 is just a small part of what we teach our Czech Academy students, our education system for elite trainers and health professionals. Gavin Jennings and I designed the academy to take you from wherever you are right now, even if you have no fitness or health education, to being one of the best holistic health and performance professionals on this planet. And as a Czech Academy student, you'll be able to help a lot of people reach their health goals in ways you never imagined. There is, in my opinion, nothing more rewarding and meaningful in life than helping other people look, feel, and live better. We are now accepting applications into the Czech Academy, so whether you're wanting to change your career or add a truly effective new dimension to your current skill set, now is the time to apply. Go to chekinstitute.com forward slash L number 4D Academy. That's checkinstitute.com forward slash L4D Academy. Let's make the world a better place together. You know, she she had some uh, emotional pain after Mana because she really wanted to go through the birthing process because it's an initiation, especially as a shaman. It's a real initiation into motherhood and into womanhood. So she felt oddly cheated out of this opportunity to yeah. to make it through her own initiation as a woman. So she was telling me on various occasions, you know, I'm really excited for Zoe's birth because now I get to complete the process. But it got to the point where after like 36 hours of this and me rubbing and holding and lifting and prodding and pulling and do this, do that, oh man, you know, just like it was nonstop, yeah. you know, and and I'm like, wow, I am freaking exhausted. And it reminded me of being a paratrooper in, in aviation where we had to do these long, sometimes 36-hour stints due to all sorts of complications I won't get into, but just intense hard work. Or when I used to work on fishing boats, we'd have to fish nonstop or you lose the opportunity. So we'd be up for like 40 hours straight. So I'd been through ordeals like that, but but with all this emotional intensity and Maggie's death and seeing her in so much pain had a real toll on me because I felt paralyzed. Like, what in the hell can I do for her? But I got to the point where I said, honey, I know you wanted to have your initiation process, but I think you're adequately initiated now. So what do we want to do now before this kills you? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I was still all in. And so I remember during that time, I was like, just keep on doing what we're doing. And it's like, I didn't know what I needed, but I knew when I was in the contraction what I needed. So poor Paul was just like, okay, squeeze my hips together as hard as you can. And the next contraction, he does it. And I'm like, no, no squeezing oh. hips. And it's like, rub my spine, rub my spine. So he's like rubbing my spine. Rubbing. And then I'm like, no, don't touch me the next one. Your own belly while you're rubbing yeah, my spine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, and I was like shouting out commands to him, but it's like, and he was like, but I couldn't tell him ahead of time, oh, I'm gonna get a contraction, go ahead and squeeze my hips now. Cause it's like, you don't know yeah. until it happens. And I'm like, no hips. That's that feels good. Harder. And he's like, I can't squeeze it harder. I'm like, squeeze it harder. And Pearl, of course, <laughs> he's oh, sweating. He's like, I'm a strong man. And he's like you know. squeezing. <laughs> and I'm I was like, like <sighs> after so many hours of this, I was like starting yeah. to vibrate from fatigue. You know, yeah, I'm like, if like, I'm tired, this, how in the hell is she doing we this? We had this scarf too, and you do this on my belly to shake the baby. And he was just like. The secret is Paul didn't have any muscle mass before he actually attended that birth. That's actually why Paul looks the way he does. Because he was off from that birth. It's the scripts gym. Yeah, right. So, but yeah, so I was just not. And so after 36 hours, I was just like, I'm exhausted. And then I got to a point where I was like eight centimeters and I hadn't dilated right, more. Eight centimeters. And it was like, 
oh, you know, and I was like four hours more and I'm like, and finally I'm like, I just need some sleep. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, I hadn't mm-hmm. eaten the night day before. And then I was like now on the second day and I was like, just having some little bit of smoothie. And I'm like, my body was just shaking. And mm. I'm like, I, how am I going to do this birth if I don't have any energy now? Yeah. And so I was like, I just need sleep. So I'm like, tap out. I need an epidural and I need it now. And it was just like, forget it. I forget everything I, I just said. That. I'm like, and, and then you're like, okay, there's a waiting list of like four other women who just got here to the hospital and they're having epidurals. And I think you guys talked about it and said, okay, Angie's been in there for 36 plus hours. No, we, we expedited that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I could feel that because I was like, they first told me I had to wait four more people and then it would be my turn. And then they were like, let her go first. Because I was like screaming. If someone came into that room, they thought I'd be murdered, I'm sure. Because I was like, I didn't care. At that point, I had no clothes on. People were up opening my door and closing and I was my hoo-ha was out there and I was just like woo I don't care about you just like it was like get me some rest it was like yeah. I don't care who sees me and I was screaming I was like there was no vanity and I didn't care I was just like ah and then I remember trying not to scream and then finally my wife was like do you need to scream I'm like yes and the other times I'm like no no I try not to scream but I'm like this is not good for me it was just but it was such a relief you know just like to get the, the emotion of the experience it was like I just scream it was like I'm I'm in so much pain yeah. and I was just trying to focus on anything like birds outside the window trying to you know look at things out there just trying to whatever meditate I was putting music on I was trying to do anything to distract me but I finally got to the point I'm like you know and it was just like I remember I had like those contractions were doing this and like okay we can't put the needle in because you're just doing this we have to wait till you're really not contracting because mm-hmm. we can hurt you mm-hmm. I'm like and I was thinking oh my gosh oh my. and so I was just we were just waiting there for like an eternity until he finally was like down and they're like you know and it was just like ah and then there was just like oh thank god and then he crashed yeah and it was just like get me in bed but remember i had those those um you had the labor shakes labor shakes Mm -hmm. and i was just my mom's like you cold i'm like no i'm like i'm just my nervous system so shot and i was just like shaking in bed for i think a couple hours i was just like i I didn't feel the contractions but my body was just done and then i was able to sleep i don't know five hours or something and it was nice because i felt i I felt not only bad for me but i felt bad for the team i was just like my midwife and paul my mom everybody's there i'm like we all need a break. We all need a break. Let's just time out. Because I was just like, let's go for it. I'm like, we, we're all done. Let's yeah. We just get some yeah. rest. And then in the morning, I remember it was like, and the, if someone came in. I had the nurse. I'm like, can you check me? And she's like, oh, I think you're nine. And I got all excited. I'm like, okay, we're in. We're doing this. We're going to have this baby. And then you're like, well, I called you on the phone. You're like, it's kind of subjective, Ange. Let me do the test and we'll double check. And I remember you're like, man, you're still at eight. I'm like, mm, okay. If anything, I remember actually the cervix actually had kind of Gone small. It, it had swollen a little bit uh-huh. and, and it actually had shrunken. I, we tend to focus a little bit too much on the dilation because the baby's head still wasn't really fully engaged right. in the pelvis because of that asynclitism. So for a variety of reasons, I was I kind of felt in my gut like I better go and repeat that exam because it's a very subjective thing. And sure enough, yeah, yeah. we hadn't made much progress. And at that point, actually, during that exam, I even had I told you, I was like, I'm gonna try to rotate the baby's head just a little bit. Let's see if we can encourage encourage her a little bit and just wasn't working we tried yeah. everything yeah i remember you even did the ultrasound you're like let's just check this baby and the positioning and the weight and you're like this is a big baby you know like, maybe it's too big to come through i'm like well you know if i can make it that big it's got to be able to come through but then i was like mm, maybe it's just getting stuck and she was a big baby she was yeah. eight pounds 12 ounces so that's a big baby for little me well for the record you don't you can have a 10 pound baby and it has n- there's no problems you can yeah. have a six pound baby that just gets stuck in the wrong position okay, yeah. you know in a specific pelvic shape yeah it's that's why this has to be an individualized right process that makes sense yeah and a conversation a shared medical decision making yeah. process and yeah. Angie, just so those of you that are just listening can't see her she's only five foot one so she's a small little being 
she was as wide as she was tall when she was given. <laughs> it was true. Got to the end. <laughs> yes, it's, I gained uh, I think it was fifty pounds with Mana and almost seventy five pounds with Whoa. Zoe. It was ridiculous. Wow. But wow. Yeah. yeah, my body just blows up. But it came all down and it didn't get stretch marks or yeah. anything. My skin's just really resilient. But that was one of the things you said when you were cutting. I finally, oh, yeah. uh, we opted for it. So the story goes, I finally opted for a C-section because I finally was just like, I was not making progress. I was just tired. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know what? C-section is way easier than this. And I'm like, I think I, I just wanted to experience labor. You I'm have like, done the work. I've yeah. experienced labor. I'm done. And I'm like, and I just started having this mode. And I, you know, sometimes they say the mother's always, you know, right. Intuitively, I thought, I don't think she's going to be able to come out. I felt like she's going to get stuck and then it's going to make matter of trying to push her up and out and get her. Mm -hmm. so, and I just felt like mm -hmm. she was not having any stress at that time, but I just felt like we've done this good. Let's just make yeah. this an easy, easy right. go. And I remember what was really awesome too, what you did. I remember what's really stuck out of my mind is so you're like, you know what, Angie, let's make this experience as much as you could have it at home. Do you have music you want to play when you're in the I'm like, oh, I do. I had made a whole soundtrack for Paul. It was about having a baby girl and I had made this whole thing and I forgot it was on my phone. I'm like, it's on my phone. I want to listen to this yeah. when the baby's coming out. And I think, were, I think we dimmed the lights a little you bit. Did. We, yeah, and it you did. And you had the music on for me. And so I was like, I got to have the birth I wanted. It was not exactly the way I wanted, but I had, the, I was just like, what doctor does that? I was just like so amazed. And I even told, you know, Nicole and she was like, she, he asked you. And I'm like, yeah. And we played my music. I'm like, yeah. I mean, this is not like, you don't go to 15 years of training <laughs> to ask somebody hey would you like to have music i mean yeah. like what a simple a simple thing but basics. it's so overlooked you know yeah, and so right. i was just like yes i do have a soundtrack and so that was just amazing and then i remember also was it there i was like you're like you know we're not in an emergency situation here so do you mind if i just spend a little time and clean up your old scar and go through and get rid of the scar tissue and i'm like that is really nice i'm like he goes so don't worry don't freak out that's not just popping out we're going to take our time because the baby's not in any rush and so you cleaned up my old scar and you took your time and it was just like i think paul was holding zoe the whole time that yeah, we were doing the surgery yes yeah. yeah and so and yeah in fact i was so spent and so i was kind of glad at that point i couldn't i lost the use of my arms they were just wow. like floppy and because my nervous system was so shot that they finally put the baby on my chest to breastfeed and just kind of have her start to attach and I couldn't feel my hands. And I was like, and I looked at the nurse. I'm like, please hold the baby. I can't feel oh. her. <laughs> my, That's great. Kudos to them for even yeah. trying to get you and, skin to skin and, right And off she the did. Bed. And she both kids latched immediately after. Wow. So Mana That's did so it. Important. Zoe did it. Mana peed on me. <laughs> he, he latched and peed right down me. I'm like, well, welcome to the world, little guy. <laughs> but um, Zoe just latched on too. And she was just nurse starting to latch. I'm like, wow. And But I, I was had my hand on her, but I could not. I could feel the weight of her on my body. But mm. my arms were just done. And I was just like, it was so even when the baby was out, I was still, my body was so exhausted. Like, again, it took about another two hours to come back. And like, I remember I had to get some food in me before I even felt like I was just so, it was so much work. Wow. <laughs> and I remember but, you had very healthy tissue. That's what I remember yeah. the most yeah. in the thing. You we were cutting me like, no, wait a minute. How old are you again? You're like, your tissue looks like a 20 year old. Yeah. You're like, what the hell? This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like principles at play. In yeah. Action. yeah. <laughs> that made me feel good. He's like, your tissues are really amazing. Like, look, he was like, it's, and then Paul, remember you're cutting the umbilical cord and you're like, he was using surgical. They know, had to hand him a chainsaw to get through this. It was this. so <laughs> tough. So much Wharton's jelly, we call that. I couldn't that. cut through it. It's like trying to cut through uh, 
you know, industrial grade nylon like or something. Like a thumb, yeah. That was but a, you know, the 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 youth of those tissues has something to do with why she keeps getting pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Got the right juices flowing. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, but uh, and it was funny because I remember taking a lot of collagen during my second yeah. baby, and Mana was also you know, very very healthy as well. But I think the collagen powder helped with the the mm. um, umbilical cord. And uh, I actually had the placenta um, encapsulated for me, so I ate my placenta. And the girl who did my first one, the second one, she she did she picked it up and she was, she texted me. She was like, "Oh my gosh, this is the longest umbilical cord I've ever seen in my entire life." And this is what she does for a living. And I'm like, "Really?" So I go, and they left some in the ER room too because they cut off like this much and discarded it, and the rest they gave to her. She's like, "No way." She's like, "That is wow. amazing." Yeah. Wow. And then her fingernails were like super long. I'm like, "Don't cut them. Let's paint them." <laughs> you know, because yeah. they were so long and so hard. Like she had these nails on her. I'm yeah. like, "Wow." Like a little so. toddler came out of there. <laughs> yeah, it was so amazing. So I was like, "Her well, brain was so developed." Yeah, so that was a good thing. So she was like, you know, and she was happy from you know the get go. I had no problems with her. She was. Just an angel. That was amazing. So I'll couple throw a couple things in real quick. One, I've been to a lot of surgeries in my life because I used to work with a team of surgeons. So I've seen lots of surgery. Uh, you know, I have a lot of experience in that field, meaning I, I know what it looks like when a wound is closed. And I know, and I've done, you know, years of working on scars post-surgery because mm -hmm. I'm the therapist. I have to keep that scar healthy yeah, or it yeah. causes huge complications. But you let me see the scar and the closure of the wound. And I, first thing I looked at and said, that is the best wound closure I've ever seen of all the surgeries I've seen. Wow. It was actually so clean, I could barely actually see the incision. It looked like you'd just drawn with a, like a pencil. pencil on the skin and you couldn't, I mean, it looked like, like, I went, wow, that, that's like wildly good. I said, Angie, I've never seen a wound close so perfectly like that. And so, you know, it just showed mm -hmm. me that not only were you good at relating, but you are actually surgically very skilled. And so I just was thanking great spirit for Nathan Riley because, uh, you know, from from the first experience we had in the hospital and, and the trials and tribulations and hassles and stresses and irritations we had to go through, and then you keeping them away from us and not pestering us made a world of difference. So I just felt like an angel had come into our lives, and so fortunately we've uh, done our best to keep you handy. <laughs> yeah, there's just there was some. There was one particular nurse on staff, and I think you had to talk to her, and so she didn't. She was better after that, but she was just so awful, and I mean, she was just like she'd overworked. She was an older woman, yeah, and she had like no. Oh, congratulations! Just like she was she just was another rude. day at work. She was rude, and I remember when I was leading up to the pregnancy, my mom and I would talk about the day that Mana saw his little sister, and we're like, oh my gosh, and how we're gonna see that moment when we can take a picture of her going, this is my sibling, and we were looking forward to that. Well, this woman comes in right at that moment when my when Mana was coming into the room to see his sister for the first time. And she comes and she wanted to talk to me about some safety bullshit or something. You know? yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wait, wait, can this just wait? My, my son's seeing my daughter for the first time. She's no. But it's, not, this, but it's on the checklist. It's on the checklist. I, I have to, I have to, I do, have to it do this. <laughs> right now. And I'm like, no, no. And she would not stop talking. And then my son came around her and she's sitting there and I'm like, and I just looked at him like, you just totally messed up the most mm. pro precious moment right now. And I'm having to deal with you and, and sign things when my son, you know, wanted to get, and I was like, 
you couldn't just stop for five seconds. You know, it was like, there was no humanness in her. It was just like, I got to do this right now. And right. I'm like, right. and I just told her, I'm like, can you please? And she was like, this has to be done. I'm like, so Monica came and so my mom helped and then they were with the baby and I, I kind of missed that moment. And I was just like, mm. thank you very much because that was so important that I filled out that safety measure, you know, right at that time right. or whatever. It was right. so bureaucratic good. bullshit. They could have waited. Awful. Yeah. So she was just a, a, a nasty one. She was the only one. The other, other nurses were really great. Yeah. But there was they have a very good staff they, there. They, I general. was very yeah. happy with them. It was just that one woman. I was like, there's always that one, on the, I guess, on the team. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I think you had to talk with her because after that, she was much nicer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you had such a great experience. I'm, I mean, it, it made us friends today. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it was just a really cool thing. So, you know, we've, we've had a, a good run. The whole point of this discussion for me as the podcast director is to share for those of you listening that the birthing process is not something you can plan you it is really an intimate powerful deep shamanic journey it's it is it's as powerful as any medicine journey you can ever go on and people die in that process child the child can die the mother can die so it's uh, full on and so I, I, both angie and i wanted to establish why to us Nathan is credible as a real medical doctor, somebody who actually treats you as a human being and is open-minded. And uh, I wanted to <clears throat> feature him on the podcast because of all the things we're getting into but are about to get into, um, because I think it's important that people actually know where to find somebody to yeah. get good advice from, yeah. because the whole the whole process of, of first-time parents coming into this, not knowing what they're going to get, um, being miseducated and, and misdirected by the medical system, which we'll get into. But there's the way the system is set up, there are so many X factors that multiply that most parents coming into the thing, even if they've had multiple kids today, if you had a kid six years ago, the system changes so fast and it gets so much more systematized and so much more rigid. And, you know, the the number of vaccines just keeps adding and adding and adding. It's just like it gets to the point where, you know, it's not human anymore. It's it's really more like a factory. It is. And, and uh, yeah. I don't think it's healthy at all because when you cut the human element out, then you begin life as a machine. And that, I think, has negative consequences uh, for everybody involved. Yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of things that I wanted to talk to you about, and uh, Angie is, is here to interject as she would like. But um, I'd love it if you could share some comments on natural verse versus hospital births and how the people um, or the whole pregnancy and birthing process has been convoluted by the medical system, you know. So what I'm looking to hear from you in this regard is what's your view on a home birth versus a hospital birth? Because there's a lot of people in the world today, I would say most of them that think you can't have a baby at right. home. And there, many of them are told that. I mean, we had people telling us that. And so um, what can people hear about the whole home birthing process versus the hospital birthing process? And what's happened to the medical system? with regard to birthing is, is the third, second element of it. Well, I think, you know, long ago, this really goes way back. This goes back hundreds of years, right? We, we developed this model of the human body 
as a car, as you and I often talk about, where you, you've got these constituent components that if you take it apart, you clean them up, you put it back together, you just drive your car away and it's, mm-hmm. it's good as new. And of course, it, it's very reductionist, it's materialistic. And, mm-hmm. and um, as a result of that, it's sort of like, well, what surgeries or medications will help those individual parts work well without realizing that this is a dynamic, a biodynamic organism and it's changing every moment, you know? So when, you know, hundreds of years ago, what really used to, to happen, I mean, this is not very long, you know, far back, um, was that women supported women in birth. And yeah. a woman having sat with birth, you know, or, you know, in, in the, you know, they even have a term granny midwives, which is a, a term that's generally relegated to the, the sort of lineage from the African diaspora into the south of the you know, southern United States, where, you know, this person may have sat with 500 births and their, their daughter is also sitting with births as a, as a part of the family. And this is just what you do as a part of your sort of, it takes a village mentality. And, mm-hmm. and you imagine several generations later, at some point somebody said, well, we can, we can make money off of this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we can actually tell you, we can actually argue it's on behalf of the safety of the mom and baby, which is how this phrase healthy mom, healthy baby. That's all we want. Right. That's that, that phrase is, is a, is a toxic sort of platitude that we use in mm-hmm. the system. And we and we use it in order to make sure that we can we can protocolize this this whole thing this the whole maternity care system, mm-hmm. and um, and and I think that with I think unknowingly I think that there was a pathologization right whenever you look at safety alone like every mom and every baby has to make it through birth unscathed as you mentioned you know in in your intro there's going to be some bad things that happen and we can't always avoid that but what mm-hmm. we've been what we as humans who are really dis- disconnected from our own mortality what we've what we've sort of come to conclude is you know we're willing to compromise everything including the person as long as we can ensure healthy mom healthy baby and what that actually translates to is you both have a pulse in your breathing when you leave the hospital mm-hmm. doesn't matter if the experience was traumatic or if you didn't hear feel heard or if you feel actually um, like the birth experience actually left you in a worse space than when you started you know yeah you know there's a name for that in in um literary terms it's called an empty signifier so an example of an empty signifier used by the food industry is they put things on the package that say natural or food that is good for you right because what they do is they play on people's minds a mother who doesn't know any better sees food that's good for you and she just trusts that it's food that's good for you not realizing it's you know toxic molotov cocktail and so the use of an empty signifier is something that is specifically chosen to give the person the psychological response that they want to get them to buy. And, and you know, Angie and I, when we got the bills from the hospital, even after Mana, it was $35 for one of those little airplane boxes of cornflakes, which we <laughs> didn't want any of it. We told them, don't bring it to us, but they billed us for all this shit every day and the bill was just unfucking believably right. high and like $35 for a tray with a little bit of milk and a, a little box like the tiny little they, boxes you get on the airplane oh my gosh yeah they bought like a it's like you know cornflakes in a box and then it had like this processed milk and then they brought me a cup of coffee and I'm like coffee caffeine for a woman who just had a baby and i was like are you kidding me and so like but they if they set it down they charge you even though we said sure. no food we're bringing sure. our own food in if it touches the right and they leave it there they charge you and so it's now your food and so then the second time they came with this lunch and now i put gluten-free on there they brought me a sandwich with a coke 
<laughs> it was a, I'm like, and I'm like, and I and they brought it in. I said, no, take that away. Do not put it down. And thank goodness because they didn't charge me because I didn't yeah. touch the well, ground. Seventy five dollar coat, probably. <laughs> and I'm like, who drinks? And they're like, oh yeah, babies sure. aren't latching and babies aren't. I'm like, you stimulating the woman with these chemicals and then mm-hmm. she's gonna nurse Go right into the breast milk. And they're wondering why the baby's not responding right. properly. Right. I'm like, look at what you just fed her. Nothing but garbage, dead food. Right. No enzymes, no right. life. And you want her to be healthy and the baby to be healthy. I'm like, what? What part there, of this do you not understand? There's your empty signifier. There there yeah. It is. yeah. So, yeah. so what we've done with this process is by, by us trying to ensure that this is going to be safe, we apply tools that don't work for a process that's not only that is, as you learned, it's not controllable. It's actually, there is a sacred process that's unfolding here. And for us to try to bring medicalization and over pathologization to give people the sense that, hey, if you're in the hospital, things are going to go okay. What you, what you sort of, uh, sort of ironically fall into as a trap where they're giving you pancakes and coke and all this other stuff and the water tastes like crap the, there's bright lights they're interrupting you the whole time they're, they're adding medicines because healthy mom healthy baby and it doesn't make any sense it creates a very stressful environment it does yeah yeah it's it's like having a baby in the middle of a car sales lot where car salesmen are constantly pestering you right. that you need to buy this car. And you're like, um, sorry, I'm giving birth right now. No, but you got to do this and sign here. Right, right, right. And they scare you. I mean, they, they that, that one woman would come in and tell me that when I'm nursing, I had to have someone next to me right then because I could fall asleep and drop the baby. And someone had to be, you had to pass off the baby as soon as you were going to fall asleep. And then they had to swaddle it and put it in the bassinet. And I had to sign a th- right. waiver that says, I yeah. cannot hold the baby while I was sleeping. Right. I was like, you got to be kidding. I mean, it's all about protecting everybody's butts. <laughs> and and what is lost then, and to go back to your question about home birth is that in the home experience, I, I'm on your turf. And that's why I that's why I, I, I will attend home births. I mean, that's I the hospital system is not for me anymore mm-hmm. because I'm seeing this unfold. This it's a it's a it's a slow moving train that nobody seems to to have any control over. And it's just creating more and more problems that fortunately there's there's a fancy doctor there to fix the problem that they created two, two stops earlier on that train ride. Mm. And so in the home birth experience, you know, you had it all planned out. You were in control. Um, I'm never the captain of the ship. In the hospital, I can pretend like I'm the captain of the ship and we know how that doesn't work. Um, but when you're in the home birth, in, in a home experience, giving birth, the uh, the other environmental stressors of dealing with having to you know, argue for those things that are important to you. And they don't know what's important to you because they didn't ask. Mm-hmm. That's why you and I started off with a very long, heartfelt conversation where I was like, tell me about your family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it had nothing to do with this. Tell me about it. And I was looking at your blood pressures as we were checking and your blood pressures were coming down and you were feeling more at ease. Had you been at home, it's possible that we wouldn't have had a lot of that stuff happen. Right. But I mean, we can conjecture all day long. Right, right. You know? Right. Yeah, um, I get you. So I, I, I'm not, I'm not arguing that every birth should be at home. I am I am very adamant but that there there's a times, lot of births that can. Yeah, and I remember there was times where I'm like, I need to be in water. I felt like water would have been yeah. buoyant for the baby right. and good for me. Right. And there was no bathtub there. And I was like, I sure. need to be in water. So I'm like, okay, well, let's just do the shower. At least I have some water Some water running over you. And yeah. there's like, oh, let's, we have to have this liability baby monitor. I had to switch it to the waterproof <laughs> one and then liability. move me over there. And yeah. then I had to take, when I was in there, then I couldn't stay too long. We had to be back to the other monitor because that's the one that was being programmed or whatever monitored from the front right. desk staff. So they'd knock on the door and say, it's time to get out i'm like no i'm not ready to get out and it's like but we have to monitor you so it's like i had to go back out put it on and then i had to be on for a certain amount of time before they'd allow me to go back in the shower and it was just like it's 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 exhausting it is exhausting the system was exhausting for you the birth you probably would have actually been able to 
you know, it would have been a, a, an easier experience, I, I suppose, to some degree, if you didn't have to deal with all the other bureaucracy. The monitors and yeah. having to wear this right. and, oops, you can't sleep on that side because that's the monitor side <laughs> and you have to turn out to your right side. And I'm right. like, oh, but you can't get in that position because that position's, we can't, it's too far from the machine. And I was just right. like, I, I, you don't want to have to think about those things. But I was constantly being reminded that you can't do exactly what you want because you have to yep. be. That's right. Yeah. And then when you're ready to give vaginal birth, we put you on your back, we pull your knees up to your el to your ears, like how unphysiologic is that or unanatomical is that yes um, it's like your tailbone goes this way right. and it's just right. like now we're going to stop right. our head right there yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and women typically in left to their own devices give birth in all sorts of positions from oh, yeah. squatting to side lying all to fours one leg up to mm -hmm. all fours and so you know i remember angie just feeling like almost like she was casted in bed, like frozen and, yeah. and, and stuck. Like, yeah. You know, like if you're in an airplane seat you with an obese person on either side of you and you can't move, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, holy Christ, I can't even breathe in here. So, yeah, you know, so to, mm -hmm. to, to summarize, to, to clear that point and move to the next one is there are complications and, and, and uh, preparing for a home birth is a wise thing to do there are things, you know, midwife, doula, but then there's also the reality that, you, as we know, we're, we're both super healthy people, and neither of us would have ever bet that we'd have had to go through a C-section twice, for right. God's sakes. Right. I mean, like, like right. oh my God, we can't believe this. But at the same time, the you know, you always have to put the devil into context we may not have Zoe if the hospital wasn't there and you weren't there. That's right. Right. That's right. Mm -hmm. We we don't know. I mean, we we we. She went through thirty six hours of very intense, painful labor, and she had nothing left to give. So, in a, and if it was in a home birth situation, the kid might have died. Yeah. You know, that's just a reality. Mana might have died too. I I don't think that the that the point that I'm trying to make is that the hospital concept is a bad concept. I think what's bad is it's become industrialized and dehumanized right. and protocolized to the point that there's no longer room for the human element in the hospital right. environment, which kind of kills the whole point of a hospital being a hospital because it's supposed to be a holy experience where people are there to save you right. and, and to restore your vitality in your life. But the whole place is really set up like a toxic prison ward. It, it is. Yeah. Must be hospitable. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, yeah. What, what happened to that concept? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about also how physicians who work as obstetricians, the way that we train is we're seeing every person come in as there is something that's bound to go wrong. So let's stay ahead of that and let's prevent that bad thing from happening. That should not. That does not explain why some parts of our country, even in our own country, have sixty percent C-section rates. That's completely unacceptable, you know, and, and then there's also this element of even when everything goes well, I'm using air quotes, you might have a woman who feels like she had to be held down to be given an, a vaginal exam that she didn't consent to. So I do a great deal of consulting for women that feel like they were, tra they were traumatized from the normal, hey, healthy mom, healthy baby. And yes, they did have that experience, but they didn't feel like somebody even looked at them and realized that shoving your hand in their vagina is not going to be very pleasant. And maybe you should introduce yourself first. Yeah. Or, or, <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know? You're like, um, I'm just going to take this real quick. Yeah, like, like, we have to check, we have to check. And you force their legs open, dad holds one leg, he feels, you know, 
somehow involved in this this traumatic experience. The nurse is holding the other leg and the, the woman is really thinking and sometimes screaming, stop, but we have to do it to make sure the baby's okay. What is that exam going to do mm-hmm. that's necessarily, I mean, right. there's a, one in a million chance that you might be able to find something like a cord prolapse or something, but that's not, that's not what you probably are going to find. In right. fact, you're probably just going to find some cervical dilation or a head. Yeah. <laughs> so, so at least say, Hey, listen, I've got 30 seconds you, in your head. You've got 30 seconds to talk to them and say, listen, I'm really concerned for this, 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 how are you doing right now? Would it be okay if I did an exam? And then you do a consensual exam that right. would make so much of a difference. Yeah, and it but doesn't not... take much time, but right. it makes right. her feel in charge still instead of being just manipulated. Right. right. And, and if you, as the doctor, you're an expert, we get it. You're an expert. We get it. If you think it's important, then tell her why you think it's important. Don't just right. do the thing because that's what you're supposed to do. And the, so the culture of hospital-based birth is really, it's way far off from where I'd like to take it. And I'm trying to push that. That's, that's really kind of, I'm young, I've got energy. And that's where I'm trying to push this so we can mm. do this, this far better. Yeah, that's great. Yes, well, God bless you in that journey because we both know you're dealing with um, dogma, indoctrination, and... Um, a system that is very unreceptive to new ideas or concepts. And I can give you evidence of that. Margaret Newman, who was one of the most amazing holistic nurses, and I've studied her work, uh, everything I can find. And she worked for 35 years in the hospital system to try to make hospitals acknowledge and recognize key factors that are necessary for healing, such as food, water, light, plants, you know, taking it from being a sterile, scary experience to, to giving people some of the factors that mountains and mountains of research show actually help people heal. And she got nothing but resistance for her entire 35 years. But I look at her work and I'm like, this is not only mind-blowingly good work and obvious, but there, there you go. So yeah. it, this is why they say in science... There's no new changes in science until the leaders die. Right. <laughs> you, you have to let the old guard die before yeah. anything new can emerge. So I, I would love to see the birth of a new holistic hospital system. I think if there's any billionaires and millionaires out there to put together a hospital anywhere on this planet that really uses the principles of holistic health and the science of healing and energy medicine and all the things that really do work and create an environment where people could come from all over the world to actually be cared for instead of sold on a bunch of insurance-based, you know, trickery and all the crap we've been talking about. I think it would just revolution revolutionize. It'd be amazing. I, instead I of like too. you have a yeah. choice, HMO, PPO, or an HHO, a health, uh, holistic health organization. And oh, that's so a great you, idea. <laughs> you know, and so you would have, you opt out. So your insurance would be like, I am going for this and I'm going to do alternative care before I go for that kind. So I think that would be an amazing thing to start. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Hi, everybody. I'm super excited to announce that one of my favorite companies in the world, Bioptimizers, has a brand new amazing product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. And boy, is that needed. Wade, I wanted you to come on and tell us how your new product works. Well, basically, we've combined a wide variety of products that help manage blood sugar and help dispose glucose into your muscle tissues as opposed into your fat tissues. And basically, by improving your insulin sensitivity and depositing sugar in a way that enhances your health, you will be able to have better workouts, better lean body mass gains, 
get leaner more easy and have that more steady blood sugar rate without the rises and dips, which is associated with, you know, blood sugar, poor management. That's excellent. What's the discount for Living 4D listeners and where do they get it? Well, if you go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health slash living4d and put in Paul 10, you'll get a 10% discount. And if it doesn't impress you better than any other blood sugar product you've ever tried, you get 100% of your money back. Hey, that's a no risk purchase for an amazing product. And believe me, my track record with Bioptimizer's products is 100% satisfaction. Never had anybody complain to me, and I highly doubt you will, but I'd love to hear your feedback. Thank you, Wade. I'm excited about the new product. Um, my big dream, really, in, you know, in due time is to open a center where we're not only doing some holistic lifestyle coaching practices for everything in between, but people can come there to birth, they can come there to die, and we can do all of that all in one space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, get your biogeometry out there. Let's grow our own food. Let's do this right. Mm -hmm. And let's just model, like, here's what it looks like. Yes, it's a microcosm, but this is not rocket science. I mean, what you teach is not. By the way, this whole thing has been done. I have some amazing books in my library. It started in 1938. It was called the Peckham Experiment. Peckham. Peckham is a suburb of London in England. Uh, I think it's in the London area, Peckham Experiment. And they built a hospital and a, they had their own farm and they had, they brought, I think 1,700 families were involved and they had a gymnasium, a swimming pool, arts and crafts. So they built a community with their own medical systems. All the people in the community went through comprehensive medical evaluations. They tracked kids. They tracked the parents. They they used all the holistic approaches of their day. And, And unfortunately, the Second World War caused it to get shut down. Oh, yeah. But I, I actually have the books documenting the whole thing and their statistical analysis Everything they found, and it's pretty mind-blowing. I'll check it out, yeah. Yeah, I'll show you the books before you go. If I can find them in my my. There's only like 400,000 books behind us here. I'm sure we'll find it. Somewhere <laughs> yeah, between, yeah, easy. Somewhere between four and 5,000, but a lot. <laughs> but the, the, the point I'm making is it has been done, and yeah. it was shown to be very, very effective. And unfortunately, the pro- program got ended but never restarted after the Second World War. Um, but I think if you see what was done all the way back then, and, and they actually came to the realization back then that they could not buy food from the store because the kids were not getting healthier. And they were doing medical exams and tracking the health of the children and the adults in the program. And so the one thing that they realized that there was the factor that was common to everybody was the food. So they started their own organic farm. And then when they started raising their own food, health problems started to clear oh, up. Oh, yeah. That's, that, that, I have no doubt about that. You know, in, in, in the hospital where you guys even birthed, you, you brought some of your own charged water in. Yeah, yeah. and food. And food. And you, you said, try this. You had it in two cups, two of those pink <laughs> serving cups. <laughs> and you were like, try this water and then try this water. And it was a, it was a demonstrable difference. I didn't know anything about you guys. <laughs> I mean, I really didn't. So I was like, okay, try this water. And it was like, whoa, it almost had like a bubbly sort of quality to it. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, Think about why are people not getting better in hospitals? Why is the healthcare system just hemorrhaging money and we don't actually see any positive results, whether in the more, you know, neonatal or maternal morbidity mortality space or in the general population? Why are we so sick? Mm-hmm. 
in our hospitals where you said we're going for sa- the safe haven. And it's sick, we don't have water food. and food. We don't have real food there. Nothing. I mean, if it was organic yeah. food, you know, yeah. quality yeah. drinks. I mean, imagine the difference of care. I mean, they're giving you dead stuff and hoping you get yeah. better. I'm like, right. it's all it's all irradiated. I mean, it's just crap. Mm-hmm. But so. the, the paradox of it all, and here's something kind of miraculous, strange, and weird. I like a morning shot of espresso. I go downstairs in the Encinitas Scripps Hospital, and there's a little tiny espresso bar there that has organic coffee, and it's some of the best coffee I ever no had kidding. in my life. Wow. I'm like, this is freaking awesome coffee. We brought our own raw butter in, so I'm carrying this butter down You're there. You're blending it up. And they're looking at me like, what in the world are you doing? And you know, so I explained all that to them, but I thought, isn't this funny? Here I am in a hospital, and the only thing I can get is by a vendor that comes in from the outside and of all things, it's coffee. Right. 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 So the one thing you get is the last thing you should be getting in a hospital. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and this is all, like, let's all take a step back. This is Encinitas. This is a heart of a lot of very health conscious people. Yes. And we still only have coffee, right, maybe in the cafeteria. Imagine like a hospital in Huntington, West Virginia or, yeah. you know. Uh, Evansville, Indiana, or, or North Dakota, or something. yeah, right, like some place where not only I mean, and that's that's actually an interesting question there as well because I we live in Louisville, Kentucky, and we're surrounded by farmland, in, in, including Fox Hollow Farms, which is in, in a like a, a fourth generation biodynamic farm, twenty minutes from our house. Oh, wow. But you're not finding that food in the hospitals. No. People are going there to get better, mm-hmm. and we are feeding them crap. poison, crap, poison. Mm-hmm. It, it's really what it is. It and, is poison. So we've got a lot to work on. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, the thing is, is that because of the way the system's set up, you know, I actually heard a podcast interview with a guy that was a director of a hospital before he had a sort of a spiritual awakening as to what he was doing. And he actually admitted, he said, you know, if, if there's not enough people in the hospital, we have meetings about how to run ads and campaigns to scare people into getting scans and tests so that we can get droves of people right. in and identify people that need surgery. And he said when he realized what he was actually participating in, it made him sick and he couldn't participate in it anymore. Right. So right. he left his job in the hospital, changed careers. But instead of trying to fixing it, he just said, I got to get out of this. You yeah. know? And so it's when when once money becomes the primary agenda then you lose all sight of anything but money and that's why they say money is the root of all evil cuz unfortunately in many ways it is um <laughs> you know the next thing i wanted to talk about cuz now we've got a lot of really deep and important stuff to get into here um a lot of parents, most people, you know, I, I, as a therapist for 37 years, have worked with more people than I could count that came to me either because the boyfriend or girlfriend or husband and wife couldn't get pregnant because they weren't healthy enough, so uh, they, they couldn't get pregnant. So they were like, what's wrong? We need your help. Um, I've had every kind of thing you can imagine from women that are pregnant and they're having chronic SI joint pain, back pain. And so, of course, you know, when I assess them, I see their diet and I look at all this stuff and I go, well, shit, you know, (laughs) you're pregnant, but look at this, you're eating garbage. I mean, you're, you're really putting yourself at great risk if you don't start taking care of a human body the way it's meant to be cared for. And they're looking at me like, what are you talking about? Nobody's ever said this to me. I've seen my doctor. He doesn't see anything about the fact that I'm drinking five cups of coffee a day and I'm living off of Count Chocula and, and, um, 
Count Chocula. <laughs> and uh, Pop-Up t- Pop-Tarts. And, you know, like people are so far down this rabbit hole, they don't even know that what they're doing is bad. There's like a normalization of, yes. of feeling probably suboptimal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and so people get so sick, they think that's normal, right? Like, yeah. like now in the world. So one of the things I wanted to talk about is the lack of awareness of the responsibility and the rigors of becoming pregnant and becoming a mother. I mean, like we said, Angie's normally about 123 pounds, five foot one, but here she was a hundred, she was outweighing me and I'm five foot eight and strong enough to do, you know, 450 pound deadlifts. And and my little five foot one girl is like outweighing me. And, (laughs) and, um, and she can barely walk. I mean, I have to pull her up the hill when we're going for our walks. We rolled her actually into the operating room. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, so when you see, uh, the dynamic expansion of a woman's body and the stress and the increased weight that they have to carry. And I rub her feet every day when she's pregnant. So I'm watching whole, the whole context, the structure, the contour, the shape. Her feet are getting more and more full of water. The ligaments are getting loose and sloppy. Her yep. arches are starting to collapse under the weight. Like when, as a, as a, a specialist in the human body, I'm watching this and I'm like, Women don't really grasp what it means to get pregnant and to have enough vital resources to carry another, create and carry another whole human being. And what I would be telling people in therapy all the time, do you realize that whatever you're not bringing in from your diet, that that fetus needs to grow its body will be coming out of you. That's right. And many women end up very chronically sick, adrenal exhausted, chronic things like fibromyalgia, chronic gut problems, chronic uh, cognitive problems, chronic skin problems, chronic back pain, pelvic pain. I mean, I've seen thousands of hours of this kind of stuff because people just are clueless as to what does it mean and how important is diet and lifestyle. And they're not getting educated by the medical system. So I, I, I thought it would be important for you to share as a doctor that you know, is an OBGYN that delivers babies that works with us all the time. What do people need to know out there? And if they want to have a baby and they're planning it, when should they start really making changes? Because a lot of people don't think about it at all till someone's pregnant and they usually don't think about it. Then they think about it when the doctor says you've got complications. Yeah. And now you're trying to figure out how to get healthy way too far down the line. That's like remembering you forgot to put your spare tire back in the car when you're stuck in the middle of the mountains in a snow storm with a flat tire. Right. You know? Right, right. Uh, That's a great question. What I always tell people is that if you're in the reproductive age range, you know, which is, I mean, it could be as early as 15, but if you're really starting to think about pregnancy, most people are not planning to have a baby before, let's say, age 20. So 20 to 40, that's when you're treating your body like a temple. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean you never have cookies or you never have ice cream, but you need to really radically change your relationship with the earth. I mean, you need to really ground yourself and really think about what it is, what is it that I need? Because if you don't put it in there beforehand, if you don't get those muscles strong, if you're not doing able to do a deep squat, right? Doing a deep squat and getting into shape in pregnancy is not going to happen for the reasons that you mentioned. Your body is in a state of depletion. And also the placenta itself produces something called human placental lactogen, which effectively works 
to to cause a, a varying degrees of insulin resistance in the body, right? Mm. Which is why you do put on extra weight. Some people more than others, and most of that weight, by the way, is water weight. And uh, you know, the fat cells do grow a little bit, and your breasts get bigger, and then there's a baby, right? But but for some people, they go in, you know, they've had three or four kids, they haven't been taking care of themselves, and they end up with something called gestational diabetes, which is mm. which carries a pretty darn high risk. It's about a 20% risk of, of you developing, I think it's actually up to 50, 50% in some populations of developing full-blown type 2 diabetes yeah. after, within 20 years after your, your baby, you know, in the mm. postpartum period. So So what all of this says is that Pregnancy is not the pathology. Pregnancy is a really hard stress on the body, mm-hmm. and it can become a pathology mm-hmm. if you haven't prepared it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So this goes back to your f- basic six principles. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really does. You have to find clean drinking water. You have to be eating better produce. And if it isn't affordable here, you join a CSA, or you find some other way to get it. You're moving. You're, 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 you're training for pregnancy. It w- if it's it's the hardest thing that your body may ever go through. And you know that, mm-hmm. you know, and especially if you're going to recover from surgery. Fortunately, your tissues were immaculate. You had 18-year-old, abdo- you know, rectus abdominis muscles and your transverse, um, your transverse salus. I remember, I just remember like peeling the layers of muscle back and just like, wow, like this is an anatomy. This is like, this is like a, not a cadaver, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it's like, wow, this is anatomy class all over again. And I mean, that really pays off. That's why you were able to bounce back. Mm-hmm. But I think more important than just the physical stuff is the mental space that you get into. Mm-hmm. It's it's seeding some of that control. It's realizing that this is a sacred initiation I'm going through. Mm-hmm. Whether you have a vaginal birth or not, you are stepping through a portal from maiden to motherhood. Even if it's your second time, mm-hmm. you're a new person on the other side. Oh, yeah. It's a moving stream. Mm-hmm. And, and if you and your partner aren't ready for the transition that is to come, when you emerge as this goddess figure... Mm-hmm anew, mm-hmm. there's going to be relationship troubles. There's going to be some self-doubt. There's going to be thoughts about what happened to my body before. Yes. It's, it's, not in, it's not in your control. So one thing that you and I talk about, Paul, um, is that you know it's very, very common for people to start wanting to exercise even harder when they're pregnant. And mm. if you aren't doing anything, doing something in pregnancy is a good thing. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But they want to run their first marathon. They want right. to start deadlifting and yeah crossfit you know like really (laughs) like i love that that's great it's good that you do that but not right now in fact we're going to actually just keep you stable and then afterwards come and find me and we're going to get you back in shape Mm. or if you're thinking about getting pregnant you're going to have your iud removed or whatever it is Mm. let's start working on your health let's optimize that system let's Mm -hmm. optimize the gene expression let's get you as healthy as we can so that you can outlast this nine month experience mm-hmm. and then however many months later when you're recovering your emotional mm-hmm. your spiritual grounding mm-hmm. um and and so nobody really prepares us for that there's there's a really good book called a uh, woman as healer and it's by gene Achterberg, and it talks about the role of women in the healing process but somewhere along the lines women became completely distracted from their own health from their own bodies i mean uh you know w- like like what birth control really is you know it's hormone replacement therapy um it's just a conversation in health class of do not get pregnant or it will ruin your life <laughs> yeah right so so it's no surprise that women are i don't want to say clueless but many women don't have a lot of they don't have a good grasp on what is this process like what is happening here it's beautiful it's exciting it's magical it can also be very scary if you haven't prepared your um you know, your mind and your heart for this, for this transition, you know? So, you know, I could go on and on and on about that, but the, the, the reality is that it's like, oh, suddenly now you're pregnant. You've got nine months to figure out everything. Like this needs to be, we need to be educating 
you know, young people on this so that they have some foundation to understand just the rigors of what this process is. And it is a great, it is a great, it's an amazing thing. And as a dad, I can say, Stephanie, I've never been more attracted than my wife on the day she gave birth. I mean, a goddess emerges and it's like, whoa, that the sheer light is, <laughs> is blinding. I mean, there, this is an important thing. But Stephanie and I also focused on what is our relationship going to look like after this? And that's an important part of this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was actually one really important piece of information. A really good friend of mine, Augustine Colebrook, she's a, a really well-known midwife. Um, she had said, the, 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 the trick for you, Nathan, as the doctor going into a, the birth of your first child is you, you know as well as anybody that the birth, the day is going to go by like that. What happens for the 10 years after that, that you're raising a, a little child? And how does that you, you know, affect your relationship with your wife of 20 years? And, um, and you know, so this is the preparatory phase mm-hmm. prior to that initiation. You don't just jump in and figure it out as you're going, because that's whenever things start to unravel a little mm-hmm. bit. I think a couple of things come to my mind. One, our culture doesn't educate men very well as to yeah. their role when their partner is pregnant and the the support that a woman needs because you know it's really common for men not even to show up to the birthing process i'm too busy working and i can't imagine like it would make me cry to know that if angie had to go through what she had to go through in those last two births all alone without mm-hmm. me there mm-hmm. I mean, I'm the guy that got her pregnant. You know? yeah. I, I'm that's half of me inside of her. Right. And our culture has become so kind of we've divided the, the intimacy of the sexes into this sort of industrial process of the man works and the woman stays at home. The man, you know, hunts and fishes and the woman gives birth. But that's not how it was in in a natural environment. Yeah. And when I I've studied a lot of, of Native American and Native populations in my research in my career from Aboriginals to, uh, you know, all over the world. And one of the things I found interesting years ago when I was studying, I came across writings from Native American tribes talking about how one of the key reasons they did not practice monogamy was because the women kept getting pregnant too quickly and the medicine men found from careful observation that when a woman gave birth more than once every three years, it significantly increased her risk of illness, mm-hmm. disease, and death with each successive child. So what they did was they set up a system where to help the men not to feel like the only place they could get sexual gratification or intimate connection from a woman was, was his wife that they made it so that oh, you, that's could, interesting. you could have sex with any of the women in the tribe and all of them participated knowing that it was actually necessary to keep the tribe healthy and growing. Oh, wow. So it that's was actually, they actually said if a man got caught having sex with a woman that hadn't had three years of recovery from the first, from the last baby that he could be kicked out of the tribe. Now, wow. I'm sure the That's women might have not liked that because I know Angie within a year was healthy enough to, you know, she, within six days, she was like, give it to me, baby, because <laughs> she, she's super vital that way. But, wow. but, but the point- <laughs> <It's good> information. <laughs> uh, she is. 
But the and even Nicole, the midwife, was like, she wants to have sex already. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I mean, when my first wife gave birth, she couldn't have sex for like three and a half months before she was wow. like even yeah. interested. And Angie's like, I ain't waiting. Get over here, boy. <laughs> so we got to work. But that's a reflection of the deep intimacy that you guys share, you know, yes. as a couple that is going to survive afterwards because you've done that work. Well, I think also just it's also. The point I'm making is I can see the women might yeah. have been stressed by that too, because three years is a long time to go without sex just because mm-hmm. you had a baby. But there, but the medicine men and the sh- and the shaman and the chief's responsibility is to keep the tribe healthy and alive. And this is not in an environment where you can do C-sections and you got yeah, doctors right. and, and hospitals around the corner. You're out in the middle of the forest somewhere, you know, yeah. getting by on you know ancient technology. So, but what they found is it really enhanced the survivability of the tribe and it protected the women and so you know the 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 thing that i thought was interesting is that i found this and i wasn't even looking for this research i was actually just studying different tribes and their philosophies and they made it very very clear that this was a necessary injunction and that to protect the women they had to drop the monogamous concept because the men's sex drive is high and so they keep getting these girls pregnant too quickly and it was causing tremendous increase in in the ill health of the women because the more frequently they got pregnant the more susceptible they were to illness disease and death with each successive pregnancy or just to survive after you know two or three kids so i think you know that a lot of people don't realize these things have been thought about and observed for a very very long time and as we were talking about in discussion, a lot of women run to Pilates and and do all sorts of stuff that tightens up their pelvic floor yeah. and their gluteus uh, muscles, their gluteus maximus, gluteus medius, gluteus minimus, and uh, they you know there's all sorts of crunch after crunch after mm-hmm. crunch. There's an exercise in Pilates called the hundred, where you kind of hold this crunch position and you bobble back and yeah. forth yeah. for a hundred crunches, and I've assess so many of these women and their pelvic floors are just so damn tight they right. can't do kegels anymore they they can barely poop some of these girls and they walk incorrectly long story made short i i have <laughs> gone into this with many pilates people and conferences where i'm saying you know this is not a thing to do for a woman that is pregnant or wants to get pregnant because it'll make it really hard to give birth. And the other thing is all that short range chronic holding type activities disrupts the breathing pattern. So oh, it does. Yeah. I found, yeah. I haven't met a single woman yet in all the people I've analyzed that's been in Pilates for more than three months and has a normal breathing pattern. They start chronically holding their abdominal wall in and they start breathing through their mm-hmm, chest. Mm-hmm. They get this chest rise. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And some of them actually develop what I call an inverted breathing pattern. When they inhale, their abdominals tighten instead of relaxing. And that's that pushes the sympathetic uh, stimulation through the roof. So you get a lot of very short, rapid breaths, like 25, 26 breaths a minute because the system's trying to oxygenate itself, but you're outgassing so much CO2, you keep the body overstimulated and what a lot of people don't realize is when you start getting into a breathing pattern like that oxygen facilitates the action of calcium in the sarcoplasmic reticulum of a muscle that's interesting that's why when you watch olympic lifting for example or power lifting you see before a guy lifts a bar he goes 
hyperoxygenates, they'll start yeah. hitting themselves. They're hyperoxygenating. Uh, now, they don't know the science behind it, but it's an innate driving mechanism that before you lift something with a maximum lift, you oxygenate. But the science of it shows that oxygen facilitates calcium binding in the sarcoplasmic reticulum. So oxygenating yourself actually enhances muscle strength wow. because mm -hmm. the binding mechanism is enhanced by the presence of oxygen in the sarcoplasmic reticulum. Um, there's, a, there's one little thing I want to add to that. And yeah. it's actually even more simple than on a, on a biochemical level. Imagine your, ab your abdomen, the abdominal cavity is, is lined in the back by, by bone and muscle. So there's no give there. Your diaphragm's on top, yep. your abdominal muscles are in front, and then you have your pelvic floor, which is a hammock. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the laterani, it's a series of complicated muscle interactions there. Yep, iliocoxygeus, exactly, yeah. puborectalis. Mm -hmm. And so when you are walking around with your rock hard abs, when you get out of bed, when you stand, when you jump, when you squat, whatever, as you breathe, as these muscles in the front get stronger, which compartment of that of that uh, what what um, wall of that compartment gives first? It's actually the yeah. pelvic floor. Yeah, well, it's everything's being so, pushed down. Exactly. So yeah. you get the, the it's a piston. The, the, mm -hmm. You've got this closed cylinder with the abdominal wall mm -hmm. and the back, and as the diaphragm contracts and bows down, the pressure goes heads, into the pelvic floor. Goes into the pelvic floor, and, and, and so it's no wonder that all these women that want to have really rock hard abs and everything are also leaking urine, leaking stool. Yes. And they've had a history of prior pregnancies. So yeah. their pelvic floor is already potentially a little bit damaged, which can be rehabbed mm -hmm. if you know about it and know what you're doing. Um, but this obsession that women have with having rock hard abs at all times before and after pregnancy is actually leading to some of these incontinence issues, yeah. which I'm sure you've worked with a lot of women with incontinence. Tons, tons yeah. of them. Yeah, I'm yeah. actually trained in pelvic floor therapy and intra-pelvic floor yeah. therapy. I've done too many cases to count. As long as I get someone with a doctor's prescription, I can work vaginally or rectally. And I was trained in that. Uh, they had to stop the training years and years ago because uh, people in the medical system started raising a uh, ruckus about it. That was part of my neuromuscular therapy training. And when I finished my training was 1986, I think. Uh, and it was about 88 or 89 that they had to stop doing it due, due to pushback from the medical system. Even though it was, doctors could be in there, right. physical, right. they right. didn't want anybody doing that, mm -hmm. which to me is just ridiculous. But um, so there, there's all this this uh, body tightening is the thing, mm -hmm. and and one of the things that that is kind of sad is that I've had a number of doctors tell me that women opt for C sections because they don't want to stretch their vaginas out, and they don't want to. Um, have to deal with the rigors of childbirth so they just want it taken out and i think that's that sounds so dystopic doesn't it <laughs> you know it's it's um it sort of falls into the the anti-aging consciousness where you keep replacing body parts with plastic right. so you right. look young right. forever and it really is to forego the responsibility the rights and the privileges of being a woman mm -hmm. And to, to make a choice to use an invasive, unnatural procedure to avoid the changes in your body that are inherent to the life process right, right, right. really puts aesthetics above life itself. You know, I'm glad you said that, Paul. And I'm, Angie, I'm glad you're here too, because a big part of why I, I really was sort of shuddering throughout residency is that... You know, I realized that 
that women are expected to be the CEO and the birth giver and the, the provider of food for babies. They're expected to kind of do it all as opposed to us as a society, you know, thinking like a beehive, right? There's the queen bee who does the work of sustaining our people, you know, mm-hmm. she's sustaining the hive and the worker bees, these little men are running around doing all this stuff. That's not the model we have here. We've actually, we've stopped worshiping and, and, and really cherishing what a woman is in our yes. society. Very seriously dangerous too. Yeah. Yeah. Why can't she just be the queen bee? Yeah. Well, that all tracks back just as a side note, that tracks back to the period of time when we switched from agrarian cultures to agricultural Absolutely. cultures. And, and what the research shows, Ken Wilber talks about this. I've got books about this in my library. But basically what happened is we were matriarchal when we were agrarian mm-hmm. because the women pretty much controlled everything. Yeah. They were better farmers. They knew a lot. They were masters at making clothes, tools. I mean, anyone that spends time with women and observes them realizes in many ways men are quite inferior to women. Oh, yeah. Uh, The average woman does four to five times the amount of work a day as the average male based on research, which I've studied. So what happened was then once the men took over the farming because they women were not strong enough to handle the plows, once they started making ox-driven plows – The weight of the plow and the pull of the animal was enough to just to knock a woman off her feet. That was when the whole system began to break down. That's interesting. That's when the patriarchal culture emerged. That's also when we started fencing in properties and owning land and fighting to protect it. So that's when the whole concept of my real estate versus your real estate, that's when we stockpiled food and that's when we started building militaries to protect our territory which again is patriarchal and so then if you couple that with the christian kind of concept of the woman as the fallen one that that is responsible and the the degradation of nature i mean the further you look into christian ideology around women and nature the more you realize why we're in the deep shit we're in yeah and how the whole patriarchal concept of the 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 priest and the celibacy and make women bad so you don't have sex with them. So they projected their own fear of an inability to maintain the requirements of being a monk onto a woman by making her sinful and dirty so that it was easier for them to not engage. So you take the, the shift from the agrarian. First, we were nomads and women were hunters too, and women were nomadic societies where there's a lot of equality in them from what I've studied. And then when they were in the um, agrarian societies, which was hunting and gathering, we didn't have fields. We, we didn't hybridize plants. We picked and gathered what we could get. And then when we get to the um, agricultural stage, which is, depends where you go in the Middle East, it was as much as 10,000 years ago, but it it seems to be about four or five thousand years ago that that start this whole patriarchal shift really started to come so you see it coming through the farming practices and you see it coming through the religious ideology right right. when you put those two together you've got two powerful influences because if there's two things that have a hold on people it's food and religion oh yeah you know yeah yeah and unfortunately neither of them is doing much good for them anymore because of the degradation of our understanding of what real food processing or food production is and what real religion is. So there, there's a lot of complicated things, but I just, you know, the, the 
part of what I'm saying is that women have to be conscious of how they prepare, but men also have to be very conscious about supporting a woman and uh, giving her the um, you know the means. You know, it's like if a man does not understand food, if a man does not understand movement, if a man doesn't understand how much pain she's going through. If a man's caught in this patriarchal, I work, you do the baby thing, I work, you do the food thing, then it, it can actually right. really put so much more stress on a woman that it just increases her likelihood of, of all sorts of complications. Yeah, that's right. And I, I don't think we have a, a we, we have zero education for men in our culture about how to be the husband of a pregnant woman. And I, I think it really does go back to I think that our sort of disconnection from the sacred nature of birth, it's a perfect allegory for our complete dismissal of our role in nature, right? And, yeah. and, and what, what used to be worshipped as Gaia, you know, our goddess, Mother mm -hmm. Earth. Yes. If, if you have some experience that it reconnects you with that, this, all this other stuff becomes easy to understand. It becomes yeah. easy to understand why it's so dystopic to remove a, a baby, 50% of our kids, through the abdomen, it becomes so dystopic to understand that a woman is supposed to also not only strive to get up the corporate, this patriarchal corporate ladder, but also raise, feed, and birth our babies. Mm -hmm. it, it, it becomes so clear to see why swabbing the vagina with betadine before a vaginal birth to sterilize the vagina before a baby comes through and is populated Jeez. with flora. I mean, why whose that, idea is that? I don't know. Some man who, who had no concept of this. So... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> when you study yeah. Kellogg's concepts of sex and all the shit that he introduced uh, as a medical doctor, and you know, I won't go into all that, but I mean, you just start looking at what men doctors have done to everything from our sex, sexual interrelationships to childbearing to medicine to the education system. Uh, you know, and all of this really stems yeah. from the patriarchal issues of religion because that's it, it where does. the whole control yeah. model comes from. Yes, there's the farming model, but they still knew a woman had tremendous value. Right. There, you know, you didn't get rid of a woman, you'd be a moron. But once you start getting into religion, especially Western religion, it gets ugly. It oh, gets yeah. ugly. Did you know that symbiotica means harmony? And you're really likely to enjoy my podcast with Shervine Jaffaria, the founder of Symbiotica. Symbiotica is an amazing company that makes excellent products to aid healing, enhance longevity, and improve performance at all levels of your being, from your spiritual practices to your athletic endeavors. I highly recommend you go to symbiotica.com and check out their top-notch organically sourced products that include excellent tasting supplements like their Synergy Vitamin B12, which elevates energy naturally, to their Shilaj Minerals, which help you better regulate your hormonal system. Their Biocharge Activated Coconut Charcoal is an excellent detox support and removes toxins and poisons from the body quickly and non-invasively. Their organic longevity formula is one of my friends and students' favorites. They rave about it. I really enjoy their Regenesis Liposomal Glutathione for its amazing antioxidant powers, which is really helpful for anyone that enjoys vaporizing tobacco and herbs like I do. They also have great immune support products, water filtration options for drinking and showering, and some cool clothing and more. When you go to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com and use your Living 4D discount code, which is capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 on checkout, you get 15% off anything they sell and you won't be disappointed. 
Enjoy Symbiotica. And, and let's not forget that, you know, I was just at a wedding this weekend. That's actually what brought us out here. And one of the, like one of the, you know, an older woman at the wedding came up and was, I was holding our baby girl who's 16 months. And she was like, oh, what a cute baby. Are you guys going to have more kids? And I said, well, actually my wife's, my wife's pregnant. She said, oh, so she didn't use precautions. Oh, geez. And I was like, well, really? I just left my stuff where it shouldn't have gone. You know, I mean, like if every man would just take the responsibility, take responsibility for, for where they, where they shoot their, their, their semen, like we wouldn't really have to worry about all this other stuff that, that we're fighting for, like contraceptive rights and all this other stuff. It's like, guys, you have to stand up and realize just how important this thing that your partner is going through. Yeah. It's not a matter of financial and all this other stuff. Like, oh, that's all important. Like, you are here to worship this woman who's about to bring your baby into the world. So man up, like do the thing. And, and I don't even know what that entails. It means something different for everybody. But I think in the very, very least, just, just step back and appreciate how connected this is to the grand scheme of what it means to be human. This is the most human experience you and your partner are going to go through. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also the most powerful religious experience, real religion. It's the most powerful shamanic experience. It's a transcendent experience. It is. Transformation it, it, of spirit. That's it, right. It takes you into true adulthood. And if you're not ready for it, then the loser is the child. Mm-hmm. Because the child can't really interface and become an adult with parents that have not become adults themselves. And that right. that is one of the largest problems we have in the world right now is we... We have lost our structure of mythology that guides us through birth, childhood, early adulthood, adulthood, elderly, and death. So now we have, look, there's 32,000 branches of Christianity. Some say 33,000. We have like, there's so much confusion about what the truth is and about how do you go through the life process? We have not got a, a, a cultural myth anymore. We've really got our cultural myth is consumerism. You know, if if you're not happy, buy something. If you're sick, get a drug. It's all about buying e- exploitation, something. right? Right. And so it's it's a a very dangerous time we're in. And we'll you know obviously we know there's some other elements that we can talk about in a little bit. But I want to. Uh, also talk briefly about what fathers need to be prepared for when a woman gets pregnant and has a baby because they go through a lot of changes. And even with my knowledge of that, Angie went through a lot of changes and and I had to kind of find a way to understand her. Um, for one, you know, women are much more sensitive if a man has any inkling toward another woman because mm. she's got this child she's got to care for for the rest of its life. <laughs> so if if a man's not devoted to her fully, it can leave her very insecure. Yeah. Right, and right. And also because they have so little sleep. Research, I did a, a university course on the science of sleep and the current research on sleep probably five years ago. But they said something in the course that was pretty interesting. They actually have monitored the brains of women and found that one, within one by the first year, 
the actual size of a woman's brain shrinks by one centimeter in diameter. Due to sleep. So her whole brain shrinks one centimeter due to sleep deprivation. And it talked about how, you know, things like getting cut, industrial accidents, car accidents, a lot of problems emerge in that first year because a woman's barely hanging on. right. And so- It's a huge stress on your life. There's a lot of emotions and a lot of like, you know, because I've worked long shifts in, in various environments, like I said, fishing, military, I know how you can just get to the point where you don't have any emotional buffer. You're just like, feed me right now or mm. I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Get out of my way. I'm tired. But we don't get trained as men what to expect yeah. and what a woman goes through. So if, if you don't understand these things, you can think that your your partner is just being downright nasty or rude. but when you really start realizing how depleted they are and how exhausted and how um, in need of support they are, I think if men knew that, they would understand. I've had several cases of young men um, consulting with me because they're, they're like one year in and they're experiencing all this stuff. And they say to me, I can't handle it. I can't, I don't know who this woman is anymore. She drives me crazy. She's nasty. Um, I don't want to be around her. Yeah. And I'm like, guess what? That's what it means to be an adult. Right. That's, right. Welcome that's, to adulthood. <laughs> that's your responsibility. Yeah. Just because she's not the hot little chicky that bowed and got down on her knees and gave you blowjobs when you wanted to anymore doesn't mean she's not your partner. And that's, kids, your responsibility. Yeah. Right. So we've got a whole sea of young men that because they don't know the power of their own dick, want to drop the seed, have the fun, but then get the hell out of the kitchen when it gets hot in the kitchen. And I think that if, if men in general, but young men in particular realized the responsibility that goes with having a penis and the power behind it. I mean, if you look at my poster right there, that's the history of all world religions. First, we worship trees and you see The second one is the symbol of the lingam and the yoni, right? And then the third was the snake. So the first thing we thought was God was trees because it seemed that life was sustained by trees. They were shelter. They were food. There was enough of an indication that without trees, we couldn't exist. And so, you know, the story of us coming out of the trees into the savannah and the African uh, story But then you have the sex organs because they realized that whenever those two got together, life happened. So they thought that the sex organs were God. And that is the beginning. That goes all the way back to 10,000 years ago. And and ultimately, you see it goes from the trees to the sex organs to the serpent to fire to the sun. So that's the foundation of all world religions. Trees, sex organs, serpent energy, fire, and the sun. I think that, that uh, is the basis of as, as a having been a young man myself, um, I do think we we lack modeling. We lack modeling for what that role really is to be a man. Mm-hmm. It's not just fatherhood. Fatherhood's like a a part of being a man, but you don't have to be a father to become a man necessarily. I think it certainly pre- it's a preparatory. It's an initiation. Certainly, it was for me. And what I found was I didn't have a lot of people even to turn to. No, you know, there who, isn't. who wanted to admit like this was really hard. Yeah. I mean, how many people are willing to say that was really hard or I'm afraid or 
I'm happy or I'm sad, you know, mm-hmm. as a man, nobody really rewards you for doing that. And in medical training, especially you're, it's a total dehumanization process. So mm-hmm. that's why I think so many doctors seem so calloused. You know, they tell you when you're going to poop, pee, have sex, have fun, laugh, cry, when you're going to go to the, be able to go out for a drink, when you're going to be stuck here in a call room. And even I had my, my, um, uh, an attending, one of my supervising docs in residency said, your wife needs to know that she comes second now. Mm-hmm. And like, that was four months in. So you can wow. tell how it probably went from there, you know? So for us to then actually, to, to actually um, acknowledge this power and to, and to reclaim that power. I mean, that's, that's, that's been my work since the birth of this little baby. And I told you a little bit about that story. I took a little medicinal journey and went very, very deep um, because I struggled with connecting to this baby. This mm. baby needs me to just hold space for her. And I had a hard time when she was screaming at me and I didn't have the answer. So it's like, just give it to, give it to mom. She probably just wants, wants you know, some breastfeeding or whatever. And she didn't. She didn't need anything. She just needed you to hold space for how hard it is for this little kiddo to come into the world. But nobody teaches you that. No. You have to have the self-awareness to realize like, this is your job right here. Just hold that space. Don't worry about what's on Instagram. Don't worry about missing your TV show. Don't worry about when you're going to be able to go out with your buddies for a drink. That'll come if that's what you do. Right now, be with your daughter and let her scream, let her scream and let her know that you are there with your hands and you didn't just bring her in, you were here for her. There is a, there's a healing property to that. I mean, that is the Mm -hmm. initiation that that's Mm -hmm. how I became a man. Um, and, uh, and through that, through that journey, actually, I had, uh, I told you about, there was a visualization of me going down a wall, a corridor with all of this writing on the walls, like stuff that I could make out, but it's almost like the Akashic records. Somebody actually mm-hmm. mentioned that to me and I ended at the end of the hallway and there was nothing. It was absolute, it wasn't black. It was just, the, it was the void, you know? And I opened my eyes at that point and saw the, the, the care, like a, our bassinet in the bedroom. And I just broke down into tears and sobbed for hours there was something deeply um there was there was a a piece of me that i knew i had to give to this person and i had to give to this person my wife who had just passed through that portal that we talk about and by being there in that moment in in this journey it was sort of it came to me that it's like like you're you are nothing if you can't just become a part if you can't unify with these people and allow yourself to change. And that was the that was my own portal walking mm, through there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's tough work. You know, a lot of people are they numb it. They numb it with alcohol, they numb it with other drugs. And that's what a rite of passage is. <laughs> You're describing the that's passage. It. it literally was the rite of passage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for a woman, it's the birth canal. That's the rite of passage. Women don't have to go through initiation ceremonies. They have them in, right. in native cultures, but they're things like when a woman uh, first starts to menstruate, they, in some cultures, they say, now you have to learn what it means to be a goddess because right. the woman is the one that gathers the food and prepares the food. Her orientation to life is that of bringing nourishment and to support life. So one of the tribal cultures I studied, what they do is they take the young girl and they put her in a tent by herself for a week. And her only function is to sit in this tent, which symbolizes the womb, and contemplate becoming the goddess. Wow. And so occasionally her mother and father can come talk to her and, you know, explore what's coming through her mind. But they they isolate her for a week to just contemplate what it means now to be the goddess. And that's part of their initiation process. For mm. some, it's 
birth itself. You yeah. know, the, yeah. there, first, the first initiation is menstruation. The second one is the birthing process. But with men, they have to create uh, a birthing, I mean, a, 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 a birthing of adulthood, an initiation process. And a lot of people don't know it, but do you know what, how the sweat lodge got created? I don't know how it was created, no. The sweat lodge was created by Native American women because they found that men did not have enough empathy for what they were going through while they were carrying babies and giving birth. Oh, wow. So <laughs> Native elder women actually designed the sweat lodge, and the original sweat lodges are little like wigwams shaped like a womb. Wow. And they built the fire in the center of it, and they put the men in, and they said, now you're going to sit here, we're going to close the door, and we're going to make it so damn hot you're about to die, and you're going to stay here till we tell you you can leave. And so the sweat lodge was to initiate men wow, into the that. experience yeah. of being pregnant. <laughs> and uh, I've done um, two sweat lodges properly run in a little tiny tent, homemade, exactly oh based on the Native American system by a Steiner teacher. And let me fucking tell you, that was very freaking intense, pal. It was like, I Sounds could- hot. I, it was <laughs> it was so hot, I was on the edge of going unconscious. And you're no stranger to discomfort. No, I was, I was like, and what was really hard for me is there was like three women in this circle. The tent will only hold 12, so they pack it full. It's like you're in a sardine can. Literally, like the oh. fire is three or four inches from you, and your back's against the wall of the tent. And he brings that water in there and pours the water. And they've got these hot rocks that have been heating up in the fire all day long. These things are glowing hot. So they have a pit of rocks inside and they have a fire outside. The fire's got piles of rocks. rocks. Wow. So after each round and you're singing sacred songs and doing prayers. And the first round you think, oh, this is cool. This is like having a sauna. But boy, by the time that end of that second round, I'll tell you what, I had to turn around backwards so my ass was facing the fire and put my face down on the ground and I was trying to draw air in from through right the through the soil wow. <laughs> because I was starting to go into heat exhaustion and going unconscious. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can make that. And I thought, God, if I try to be a superhero, and what my point was is the women didn't even seem like it was phasing them. They're like looking at me and they could see that I was in trouble, and so were several of the other guys, and they kind of had that little look of, you're not so tough now, are you, Mr. Muscles? And I'm like, shit. So I got out at the second round. I had to get out and cool down and drink water. And, and replenish. And yeah. replenish because yeah. I was afraid I was going to be a medical emergency in there. Yeah. The second time, I said, okay. So I was careful. I didn't have a lot of food in me. I kept the meat to a bare minimum. I hydrated for a couple of days and I took two of my buddies that were that were uh, in training as Czech practitioners and they were badass weightlifter types and they said, oh, you, you know, we heard you're doing a sweat lodge. We want to go do a sweat lodge because we really heard it's tough and we want to see if we can make it. I said, I'll be willing to bet you. <laughs> I said, if you make it through that thing, I bet you 50 bucks, the two of you, I'll give you each 50 bucks if you can make it through. And they were like, oh, we can do it. You know, I'm like, okay. 
They got out. They yeah. Made, they, yeah. Same as me. They made it to the end of the second round and they had to bail, but they didn't come back. <laughs> they yeah. Like, oh, that's too yeah. intense. <laughs> and I'm, these are all, you know, badass rugby player type dudes. And I'm like, okay, you see all that smoke and mirrors you put out into the world. Totally. That's funny. That reminds me of a story. My mom and her older sister, she was having a baby. And my older, my mom's older sister looks at my mom and goes, gosh, couldn't we just have a zipper where we could just unzip and take the baby and put on the nightstand and then fit it back in? My mom tells me the story. And she goes, yeah. She told her sister. She goes, if that was possible, we would never put it back in. <laughs> you know? It'd be like, let's just leave the baby out for a little just, while. Just leave, just leave the zipper open and, too. Like if you need to have any more, just like pass it through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, Paul, one thing I wanted to mention real quickly, the, the, mm -hmm. the story of menstruation, I think, is the one area that I think most women find themselves at odds with the medical system, right? Because we, we have, as OBGYNs, we have an ultrasound that we do a lot of our diagnostics with. We have birth control pills and we have surgery. Those are really what we use. Those are our three main, the sort of ingredients that make you a good OBGYN. And birth control pills we use for virtually everything. You have, you have cyclical menstrual pain. You have heavy periods. You have, you name it. Let's just put you on a birth control. And what that does is it shuts down that entire hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. And, and effectively, just sh you know, it shuts it down. It puts your ovaries sort of into a state of hibernation. And hey, problem solved, right? But what now I think is emerging is there's a lot of women that are embracing menstruation. I think that we actually do need to change our culture around that. You know, we, mm -hmm. need, to, we need to change the messaging around that. Like, oh, oh, you know, don't be embarrassed about your periods anymore. Go on the birth control pill. Like, we need to acknowledge that this is probably the most important vital sign for a woman's health. Mm -hmm. It tells me about your thyroid. It tells mm -hmm. me about your digestion. It tells me about your nutrients uh, or any deficiencies. It tells me about, uh, I mean, I could go on and Toxicity, on and on. Toxicity, everything. Toxicity, Hydration. right. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a complicated, it's, it's life protecting life. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. So if I squelch that, if I squelch the bleeding, yeah. I don't know what's going on yeah, and I, I lose that, that metric. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, it's an unpopular opinion, but I avoid birth control pills at all costs. That makes me not a very, a very, a very, uh, it makes me a very body little OBGYN. Well, for sure. <laughs> I have two books in my library. One was written by a name, I believe it was Ellen Grant. She was a researcher hired by the British government in the late 40s or early 50s when they, were, they wanted to research the birth control pill to determine if it was safe. And this book is like 400 pages of research and her report to the National Institutes of Health in England was this is extremely dangerous. It causes cancer. It does. I mean, it was 400 pages roughly of research showing this is very, very dangerous and the British government ignored it. Yeah. I don't, that doesn't surprise me. We use it. I mean, we, we do this. I mean, so back to like women being aware of their bodies, what we just say is, Hey, when you don't want to have a baby, you take this pill. When you're ready to have a baby, you come off the pill. Um, we're not teaching fertility awareness methods. We're not teaching any of the other stuff that could be used for that same purpose. And, and yeah. yes, there is a specific reason that maybe a certain person should use hormonal contraceptive, or mm -hmm. the, whether it's a pill or something else. But gosh, if 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 we're just putting a band aid on some symptom of heavy bleeding or whatever intermenstrual bleeding, whatever it is, um, we're just not doing our job. So yeah. that's another big part of my practice. There's a lot of psychological changes as well. Oh yeah, when a woman uses yeah. the birth control pill, absolutely. Uh, and and the thing is, people don't realize that the hormonal system. When you start regulating hormones mm -hmm. with hormones, mm -hmm. you get entrainment. So research in physiology shows you can entrain the hormonal system within as little as 24 hours to six days. 
So wow. a, an example of that would be if you drink a coffee at eight o'clock this morning and it's your first time to have coffee, it's going to cause a huge spike in cortisol. Within 24 hours, your body will be craving the coffee because of it's expecting that cortisol spike. Oh, no kidding. Wow. So within 24 hours to six days, the hormonal system will adapt itself to the external stimulus. And without it, it takes quite a long time for it to rebalance itself. Wow. Just like, well, I won't go into a technical explanation because it'll sidetrack us a bit. So the point is, is when a, the longer a woman's on a birth control pill, the harder it is for her body oh, to yeah. re-entrain itself. It's totally. just like the, she's forgotten how to be a woman is what right. happens uh, at the physiological level. And it right. creates lots of problems. And you're saying of how it changes our scent too. So mm-hmm. you can be attracted to the wrong male. Yes. Because the hormones change our way of perceiving what a man is. And so you go... You get more attracted to, and you're like, oh, oh, this is my man. And then you say, oh, let's get off the birth control and have babies. And then you get off birth control and you're like, the smell is oh, not right. And interesting. You're, yes. Yeah. And it's like, you don't, you're Suddenly not, that's not your type. That's not your type anymore. Yes. And you're like, whoa, this you're is married to the wrong. wrong guy. Yeah. So that can actually. I mean, why, uh, why isn't that a sort of like, of course that can happen. But instead the medical system says, well, we don't have evidence to support that. Right. Similarly <laughs> to like, we don't, we lack evidence to say that if you, don't wear a parachute when you jump out of an airplane from 50,000 feet <laughs> that you're, that you're going to die. Like I'm still going to wear my parachute. So thank yeah. you. That just makes more sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting too, because as you know, as a doctor, a lot of people's biology is not compatible. You know, that's why there's an attraction or a non-attraction. Someone can be very beautiful, but not attractive to yeah. you. They might be aesthetically beautiful, but I, I remember, for example, uh, when I was you know, probably about 17, one of my best friends fell in love with a a girl that was just stunningly beautiful. I mean, just a knockout. Every guy in the whole high school wanted to get a piece of her. But every time they had sex, both of them would have severe welts all over their body. They actually- Oh my gosh. And they went to the doctor and found out they were allergic to each other. (laughs) They were actually having an immune reaction oh, man. to each other. What and, a bummer for that relationship. I've heard of many cases like that after that, but I just happened to have a friend that had the problem and neither of us had heard of that, but it really broke his heart, both yeah. of them, because they loved each other, but their bodies were not compatible. Oh, yeah. There was something in each of their fluids that their immune systems attacked. Wow. So they both had this strange situation imagine being like 17 18 sure sure when you're just sexually wild and every time you have sex your body you just goes welts. crazy like you're having a, a you know a, a, an immune immunoglobulin e reaction yeah. like you've eaten like peanuts a or something release. yeah if yeah. you're if you're uh, allergic to peanuts and and so the we have these natural attractive mechanisms and and i know for example with both angie and penny if I even smell, like if I smell her hair, it does something to me. It, it's like if it was food, I would want to eat it. Mm. If I taste their saliva or any of their fluids, my body tells me you're compatible yeah, with this person. Yeah, totally, totally. And same with her. Yeah, I, I feel think. like that about mm-hmm. my she wife She told too. me that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you, know, mm. you know, there's, you know, you'd be with certain men and they're like, that does not attract me or if we're going to get a little bit raunchier, you don't want to swallow that because <laughs> it's yeah, just like that yeah. gags me. Yeah, sure. And other ones, you're like, wow, I want to take that in, you know, and yeah. I want to swallow that. I want that in me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's a, you know, like when we, when we put a person on a birth control pill and we shut down that axis, right? We're shutting down the ovaries. We're just telling them, hey, 
remain just quiet for a while until we tell you we're ready for this, the factory, right, to get mm-hmm. back going, um, to release the eggs in order for you to get pregnant. So that's actually the process that hormonal contraception, most of the, the styles, walks out. Well, then if you also think about, and we all know that the lunar cycles mean something, even yes. OBGYNs, even the dingbat OBGYNs know, like me, I'm not, I'm not throwing any, any flames here, know that when you're on call in the hospital at during the full moon, weird stuff happens in pregnancy. You get that oh, yeah. 32 weeker who had their waters open way too early, or you have some just c- catastrophe that shows up. And so people would not really want to be on call if there was a full moon. You know, you see the full moon, you're like, oh, you know. Well, um, Mana was born on the full moon. <laughs> well, that says a lot about that little <laughs> yeah. that little uh, force of nature out there. Yes, yes. yeah, he, yeah. He yes. is. He carries sure. the full it was moon. Like a sure. super blue moon sure. or something. Sure. Yes, it was, like, it was one and only comes every 33 years or something. Yeah. Something yeah. bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, you know, the ovaries functioning actually connects women to the earth. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. there's the lunar pool. There's, there's a lot of stuff that happens. And if your ovaries, if your endocrine system is not in order, it's not just, uh, you know, this, this uh, hormone goes to this receptor. There's, there's far more interplay there that we don't understand. And by disconnecting women from their nature, from Mother Earth, from Gaia, there's there are there are long downstream you know long term downstream consequences of that and um and so changing this changing our our attitude about just you know being fertile or or not you know not wanting babies right now or wanting babies right now like it, it's a bigger conversation it's mm-hmm. really an, an the importance of understanding what do these these very 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 powerful medicines these hormones do in your body and is there some other way for us to achieve that goal without you be becoming completely detached from who you are which is why so many women tell me they've got they become, they, they feel emotionally unstable. They feel, even my wife, she was like, when we were in college, she had been on it for a few years and she was like, I got to get off this. I think that it's like taking away my vitality. Like, I just mm. don't feel well anymore. Mm. And sure enough, afterwards, she comes off, her hair gets its curls back. She gets her color back. She wow. is vibrant again. It has nothing to do with just the ovarian function. There's right. something You're lucky far she still likes the smell and the taste of you after she got off that stuff. I think I had to, uh, yeah, I had to start taking showers again and that type <laughs> of thing. But I mean, you know. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I imagine some of you are finding that your mind is not as sharp as it was or that you can't seem to remember things as well, such as the last page you read in the book or the key points from a meeting you just attended recently. Do you feel that your brain is taking longer to come online or that your thinking gets muddled or fuzzy when you've got a lot to get done? If so, Organifi Pure may be just the magic you need. A key ingredient in Organifi Pure, called Neurofactor, showed a significant impact on brain-derived neurotropic factor, which has been widely reported to play a critical role in neuronal development, maintenance, repair, and protection against neurodegeneration. The certified organic combination of herbs in Organifi Pure not only enhances mental clarity and promotes brain-derived neurotropic factor to stimulate the development of new neural pathways, it aids in enhanced digestion, which is important because many cognitive problems are symptoms of poor digestion. To get your Organifi Pure and shop their amazing product line with your Living 4D discount, go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and save 20% on any of their products using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K20. That's check 20 during discount. Enjoy. I've had countless uh, young women particularly consult me on my thoughts about natural birth uh, 
control. Yeah. You know, such as monitoring vaginal secretions, the mucus yep. monitoring and cervical, temperature. Cervical mucus, yeah. And temperature monitoring. But you know, I was shocked. I mean, I've probably had a hundred of these conversations in my 37 year career. I'm not a, a OBGYN or anything like that, but I, people come to me with everything because of, I developed a reputation as someone that go see this guy if you don't know what to do. And I'll tell you what, I was amazed how many women have no awareness of their own vagina. Amen. It is wild. Right. It's like there could be mold growing down there and they wouldn't know it. I'm like, I've had girls go, you mean you want me to touch and smell my mucus and feel it? I'm like, well, it's your vagina. I mean, and they're, they're talking right. to me like this is like I'm asking them to go clean the toilet that's backed up by hand or something. Right. Well, it's not surprising to me. I mean, ever, given everything we've talked about, mm-hmm. we've we've sort of trained our women in our society to feel that they're dirty, that this is yeah. unacceptable. Oh, you like to think about all the douches and stuff on the market. Right. You know, like, you need all these cleansers. You need to and smell like, you know. Flowers. Like yeah. all of, you know, like like a like a Febreze or something <laughs> at all times. Yeah, like, exactly. It's not natural, you know. Yeah. I, I yeah. remember the first time uh, I think a girl was about 18. Her mother brought her in to me and said, I need you to talk to my daughter. She's having problems. And and, uh, and here's another case that's, forgive you if you're just any kids listening, tell them to not listen. Right Earmuffs. Yeah. <laughs> um, a mother who is seeing me for a uh, neck or a shoulder or something injury, um, kind of, you know, got to know me and, you know, through my coaching, she came to realize I, you know, had a lot more breadth of knowledge than she expected. And she said, well, would you be willing to talk to my daughter because she keeps losing boyfriends? And I said, well, what's going on? She says, well, every time she has sex with a guy, he doesn't want to be with her anymore. And so she's never actually been able to really have a proper sexual relationship. So she said, would you talk to this girl? And so I, I, this was a bit of a kind of an embarrassing moment for sure. me. She brings yeah. the girl in, she leaves the room. And I, so I started talking to the girl and I'm asking her, well, tell me what's going on. Yeah. And she said, well, you know, she points down, she goes, you know, when a guy goes down, I said, yes. She goes, well, I don't know what's wrong because every time a guy goes down on me, he doesn't want to have sex anymore. And I said, well, have you been cleaning it and checking it and monitoring yourself to make sure it's healthy? She goes, oh, no, I don't touch it. I don't want to touch it. I said, well, why? She goes, I don't know. It grosses me out. Wow. And so basically what I found out was she was not cleaning her vagina and the smell was probably just freaking guys out. And her mother had not taught her how to care for a vagina, which mm. probably her mother didn't know. I don't know. So I ended up having to have a conversation with her mother. And like, you realize your daughter is like 18 and she doesn't know how to take care of her pussy. She doesn't have a clue about anything. And I said, as a man, you know, it's a bit off-putting if you go down there and it's scary. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, yeah. not too many guys are going to put up with that. So I began to, you know, this is like when I was younger as a therapist, by the, by the time I was about 30, this had happened like several times. I started being a therapist when I was 22. So 
I'm, I'm starting to think like girls, a lot of girls out there, they don't really know how to take care of their vaginas. And then, you know, as the years went by, I began to see this is a recurring theme. Yeah. This is not by any means a strange thing. So when you start looking at the lack of knowledge of food, the lack of knowledge of exercise, the lack of knowledge of sleep, the lack of knowledge of body care, the use of antibiotics, the use of dangerous soaps that degrade the surface bacteria of the body, the use of damaging hair colors and, and fingernail products and, and whitening teeth products. I mean, the amount of toxic yeah. bombardment right, and, and, right. The, and the number of women that have sort of plasticized themselves into these kind of Barbie dolls that don't know really how to embrace, love, care for, and nourish their body as a goddess, really. Right, you know, right. the goddess and culture is is dead and it needs to come back we need before to, we're we do. dead. Well, we do. yeah, and I think people, some women overclean too, and they don't realize they're not supposed to go inside their vagina and be cleaning it right. like that. And so right. that yeah, causes right. dysbiosis too, because yeah. they're cleaning all the good bacteria. And so they're overcleaning. So you have yeah. the opposite. Some girls don't touch it at all. And some girls don't know where to stop cleaning. It, well, so. no, yeah, I, I've had... And that's that's really bad I've too. Had and then they're all dried out from using antibacterial like from soap. douching every day, douching. twice a day. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. But they overdo it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That goes to the back door too though. I've had plenty of women and men. I've probably had 25 cases of women that were regularly sticking a hose up their backside and washing No kidding. Their a little clinic. Inside because they were trying to keep it clean. I'm like, you don't aren't doing yourself any favors there. And I've had uh, serious cases of people with chronic constipation, and I found out that they're using a um, brain farting. You know, what do you... Bidet? No. You know, what do you call it? A when you, douche. Uh, uh, um, you know, when you... Enema. Enema. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm they're, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Enema. They're doing enemas every day. Wow. Every day. And they don't realize that stretches out the colon and it stops yeah. the normal reflex yeah, sure. pathways from working. I've probably had not to not to mention the, cases of that the anal sphincter. Think about it; it, it can hold stool, liquid, and solid, and let out gas. Yes, like, think yeah. about how complicated that neuromuscular. That's a smart sphincter. That's a smart, smart, <laughs> smart ass. sphincter. Yeah, that's a smart. That was nice. Very yeah. good. smart ass. There's two sphincters. Uh, I imagine you're aware of that. Yeah. The internal mm -hmm. one though is smooth muscle, mm -hmm. and the external is striated skeletal, skeletal muscle. muscle. Right. So that's the one you have conscious control over. Mm -hmm. That's how you know you got to go poop because the internal starts to open under the influence of the colon, the smooth muscle, and then your external has to hold on tight. And so that sends the message to the brain. You got to get to the toilet. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, the part, the, the, the discussion here is really to make a point. You have to know how to take care of a body. A woman's got to know what a woman's body is and how to take care of it. A man's got to know what a man's body is and how to take care of it. And both of them have to know how much power there is in those sex organs and get ready to take responsibility. Angie and I monitored her cycle very carefully. She's, you know, a woman that knows how to be a woman and I'm a guy that knows how to be a guy. And, um, you know, we, we both got surprised we both got surprised with both of our kids. Uh, that's fairly safe to say. There's all. There's also some other forces at play. It right. is, you know, it's it's spiritual forces, spiritual, etc. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I personally believe that that soul found a yeah. vessel that was. Yeah. This is the life that I'm going to live out. This contract. This is the way I make it happen. And even with your best planning, 
still yeah. sometimes these things happen. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. So, I mean, well, look, look at that little girl you got out of it. Yeah, I know She's it's great. amazing. <laughs> and and Mana too. And and I yeah. uh, I did a shamanic ceremony to go meet Mana Soul because I did not want to be a dad right. at all. Angie can guarantee you that. Yeah, we had many emotional conversations because she wanted to have children with me and i said look i've already been through that i'm done i don't want more kids i got fifteen thousand students that can drive mm. me nuts let alone having another child and i said i just want to go off and hang out in the woods and paint and chill out yeah not be a daddy again but you know long story made short this ha this happened multiple times where finally we realized okay something's coming through <laughs> there's a soul that refuses to take no for an answer and so right long story made short i went and talked to Mona soul and found out why and when i understood why then it took the pain out of it for me it's like okay this soul's coming into the earth plane to do work here yeah, to help right. the planet and zoe told me the same thing they both said we're coming because the earth's in trouble people are in trouble they don't know it and, right. and we're coming to do help we've chosen you and mana right. said mana's soul whose name was bahuan which means white flower she was a Chinese taiwanese woman farmer she said i've been watching you for years and she goes, I am coming because what you teach is correct. Wow. And I need you to reactivate my knowledge so that I can do what I'm coming into the earth plane to do. So she basically told me, yes, I am coming and I've chosen you. So get ready. Yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah. No, it's, right. you're, you're, there's more than just you involved in this. Right. Mm -hmm. It was very powerful experience. And I won't share the story now. It's on another podcast, but me and Angie went through some really mind-blowing synchronicities through that thing. Like we realized there's a lot more going on here than we realized. There was some sure. powerful, powerful experiences that really um, both of us, even with our background in shamanism, it still stood our hair on. And it's right. like, okay, there's some serious shit going on yeah. here. Yeah, beyond your control. It's like, oh, it's like there's a fate factor. There, there's yes. something happening here. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and and as a, as a, a birth attendant you know having sat with so many births if you can be present in that hour they call it the golden hour yeah. that that moment after the baby comes out whether you're in the operating room at home in the hospital bed whatever if you can just be present keep the room calm keep the lights dim baby's rooting trying to latch just like mm -hmm. you had had that experience you notice that there is something that changes mm -hmm. there's energetic there's a milieu of stuff going on mm -hmm. there and if there's the beeping and the calamity and whatnot and let's get the baby off your chest and let's wrap the baby up and clean the baby up and clean you up and, yeah, and blah, yeah. blah 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 you miss out on the fine, like the the sort of essence of of, of the transformation that's yes, taking place. Yes. And I didn't appreciate. It. I didn't really have the language for that. I just thought, like, wow, this is beautiful. You mm -hmm. see it in med school, and you're like, wow, this is beautiful. But then you do it a thousand times. I don't know how I stopped counting at a thousand, but you know, you do it tons of times, and 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 you start to to really develop like a whoa, something actually is really happening here, mm -hmm. you know. And but but you wouldn't know that if you weren't present. And the same goes for on on the other end of the spectrum. If you're sitting mm -hmm. with death. There's something that changes. Mm -hmm. There's something that changes. And there was one day, actually, around the time that I attended your birth, I, I attended a birth. I was a fellow. I went to a, a patient's house. And just as I walked in, his um, cousin was answering, answering the door and said, oh, Dr. Riley, you're here. And we went back. And, and this guy just had passed. And you could see a little tremor in his carotid artery. And I looked at my attending. And I placed my hand on his heart. And I said, I'm really sorry, but it looks like he just passed away. And so we we did the thing, but at that moment, people they were like, "Oh, let me call them. Let me call the mortician. Let me get the funeral home yeah, and all this other stuff." Yeah, quickly onto the yeah. Like, instead of take that moment. To yeah, let's just slow down. Let's just be present. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is 
well, this is humanity right here. This mm-hmm. is the, the conscious experience of being human. Mm-hmm. Let's just mellow in it for a second yeah. and bathe in it, you mm-hmm. know? And so then I left that and I, I arrived at the hospital for my OB shift, which is a very, I, I get, I have the best job of any doctor, really, if I get to do those two things. I arrived there and they're like, Dr. Riley, room seven. And every, you know, if you've had a baby, you know, do- the doctor doesn't really have to do much in a birth, which is why home birth is so great. But you, know, I arrived in there and then I, I caught the baby. Mm-hmm. So it was like this one 360 this one experience and then here comes a new a new soul coming mm-hmm. in through and one if out, you can just in. be present with that you can change your whole yeah sort of experience as a physician it was very healing for me as well to be able to sit with like okay this is not just a medical procedure this birth mm-hmm. thing there is something beautiful and powerful and we get to have the privilege and the honor to be a part of it mm-hmm. and yes to also give you information so you can make informed decision making but if you refuse any sort of recommendation then i'm still here to support you and we're still going to take this journey together mm-hmm. um and I think that I think that part of what you're talking about, Paul, and getting back to the sort of sacred nature of of what this is, is that we we just need to slow down and be present with it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's in too much of a hurry. We are, yeah. You know, we yeah. moved out here. One of the reasons we moved out here is to get away from the buzz. Because once they put five G in in the area we used to live in, we used to have a. You did you ever come to our yeah, house and visit? Yeah, I had a yeah. dinner with you after our our day at uh, Heaven yeah, House. Yeah, so it was a beautiful spot. I mean, we lived there for thirteen years. It was a lovely house. I had you know a rock stacking area, water charger. We had three quarters of an acre. We had six fruit trees, a garden. I mean, it was a really nice place. We fixed the house up nice, but from the time we moved into the time we left, the traffic probably quadrupled. They built what? how many houses and condos all around us, which used to be protected land as a nature preserve, but the builders somehow bought their way in to get the law overturned. The locals fought it in court for years, but lost. Um, And then they put 5G in and I would come home from the office at the Heaven House where there was no 5G and I could literally come down the mountain and hit the 5G. And all of a sudden, my body would start vibrating wow. like it was in a microwave. And I would, I've felt that before, yeah. I couldn't sleep at night because I have this neck injury uh, that, that really it made me very sensitive to subtle energy. And it took me a couple of years to figure out why was I in so much pain all the time at night. And then I realized one day, Penny's leaving the router on, the Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi on router. Night. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And I used to actually turn over so many times at night, I would wear through a brand new sheet about every two to three months. There'd be a big hole in it. Wow. Because I was in so much pain, I couldn't find a position of comfort. The day I asked her to turn the wireless system off was the first day in years I slept all night. And I haven't ruined a sheet since. (laughs) So having that sensitivity to what subtle energy does in those frequencies once they turned that 5G on, I couldn't sleep anymore. My yeah, neck was yeah. aching all night long. It's just inflaming wow. the hell yeah. out of the body. And so the uh, being out here is so much more peaceful and so much more relaxing. And it just makes me think, wow, people that live in cities don't realize they're just getting bombarded from every direction. It's really hard to be healthy. And what are they? They're putting now... 26,000 5G satellites up right. in the sky right. or more. Yeah, the ionosphere, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and like, it's a shame, yeah. Well, it's really hard to slow down when your body's speeding up. Yeah. yeah. So that's, like, that's so true. We, we really are in a precipice where technology 
has become more important largely for instant gratification than the realization that it's destroying our ability to stay connected to nature and to each other. Right. So we have fast phones, but we don't have relationships. We have fast food, but we don't have health. We have fast doctors and fast surgeries, but we don't have healing. And you have to say, how far can this go uh, before the whole thing just collapses? And then look what we're doing to nature in the name right. of technology, in the name of comfort, in the name of efficiency. That's not smart at all, which leads to my next question. You know, I know this is probably a, a, a dangerous way, place for you to tread, but, you know. V word. Yeah. Where you, <laughs> you know, you know our position on this because you, you were went through it with us, but how how is it for you as a doctor being in the middle of all this indoctrination and then having people like us wanting to go natural i mean where where what's your observation and what's your stance on on vaccinations and what advice do you have for people because this is like a this is really not even about health in my opinion this is right. about control i think that at the heart of i think that the this the last year the coronavirus thing I think has exposed wholly the inadequacies of our medical system, yeah. right? And and I think it starts with how we train medical professionals. There, you could be at the best, you know, research institution in the world. Let's say Harvard University, right? They they, if you get into Harvard, you're set for life. You got it on your CV. You're a Harvard trained physician. The way that you get into Harvard is that you follow a reward system that is based quite literally on how well are you able to answer the questions in front of you as opposed to looking at what's around you. So there is a, a, a very clear reward system. If you can memorize and regurgitate the things that we want you to see, ignoring the other stuff, everything in this library, <clears throat> yeah. or even your own personal observations, we want you to quiet that. If you can do that well, we'll get you into Harvard. And then if you're a physician, we're going to get you that tenured position. If you're just good at putting your chin down and onto the grindstone and doing your thing. Mm. We don't want you to think out of the side of the box. There's no yeah. there's no incentive for that. So what we're faced with now is a whole bunch of drones that are medical professionals far and wide who are not asking questions. And that's the most concerning part for me. Angie, you and I have been talking about this for months now. Mm -hmm. um, and you and I as well, Paul. Um, but as more and more information comes to light, it's becoming harder and harder for us to ask questions because now... You know, people are like, you're an anti-vaxxer. It's like, no, I'm actually a critical thinker. And I was actually, I was, I was uh, called to the principal's office in residency. And they told me you were, you, you need to work on thinking more linearly. <laughs> which you're too out of the box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, 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 you're looking outside of where we want you to look is how I took that. And that's actually what they meant. If you don't have the answer to the test, then, then you're no good to us. Mm -hmm. and Stephanie, my wife had just described this earlier. We were talking about it before we started recording and she's like, you know, the, the medical system, this, this corporatocracy that you're a part of, it wants you to, to follow the rules so that you can be, you can be sort of um, nourished in such a way that you're eventually going to be replaceable. And I was like, God, that's such, like, that's such why, like sage advice. Mm -hmm. Because if you are actually looking outside, you're doing stuff that other people can't do, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And I mean, even just being present with a person and asking, how was your last birth? You might get a flood of tears because you get to actually know their story. But hey, 
you've got another pa patient in five minutes. Let's wrap it up and mm -hmm. let's get you back to that lady who needs a pap smear. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you're going to do this other thing that's going to cost, you know, seven more minutes. We need you to see 20 patients this, this morning. And, you know, you and I, Paul, were talking about consultation time. Like, I probably will spend two hours with a person when I first meet them because I need to know everything about you. And maybe it'll be shorter, you know, you know, you know, down the road. But the medical system does not want you mm -hmm. to really think outside these confines because this is what we do mm -hmm. in the Rockefeller version. Yes. You know, this industrialized, hierarchical mm -hmm. nature, which is why I had to step away from that model. So when it, when it, when it comes to vaccines, I... I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I actually don't think the technology behind vaccines is necessarily a bad idea. I think that there's there's a couple infectious diseases that we're probably pretty happy that not everybody has to deal with anymore. The problem I have with coronavirus and this thing that happened back in like March last year is that anybody who was willing to even say, well, hey, a second, you're telling us all this stuff, but like my experience with this person over here doesn't seem to fit into that. Mm -hmm. And just like Newton's law of gravity, if somebody was like, hey, Newton, check it out. If I let the apple go here, it actually floats up into, the spa into space. We would actually have to question Newton's law of gravity. Mm -hmm. But this is not a law. It is not a law that there is this ravenous virus out to get us, right? That's, that's coming to hurt us and that these vaccines are completely safe. I'm sorry, they're not even vaccines. So what I, where I find myself in hot water is that, the, again, the medical system is saying, listen, we need you to take an Instagram photo of yourself getting the jab, giving a thumbs up with your mask and your face shield and your hazmat suit and everything on in order to continue this narrative that we've decided for you. Well, th that's not what I went for my entire life into school. I've taken a billion bubbles, bubble you know, questions on, on exams. That's not what I trained to do. And somebody was even, even told me, hey, I feel like it's my civil duty to get the vaccine. Well, if, if, it's, if we're talking civil duty, then it's my civil duty as a person who's trained as a healer, as a real physician scientist who asks questions. That's all that science is, is asking questions. Then well, it's because, my... Because if you don't do that, then what looks like healing can actually bring death. In other words, what do you do when the vaccination turns out to be more dangerous right. than what it's protecting right. you against, right. which has happened multiple times right. in history? Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And, and, and the, the, the other thing is medicine purports to be scientific, but my question is, is it scientific to let vaccine manufacturers and drug manufacturers do their own research? Now that's a problem. Is it scientific when the people doing the research are on the payroll of that corporation? There's an old saying, it's very hard to change a person's belief system when their paycheck depends on it. So right. you can't be objective and critical That's when exactly you have right. a bias. And if you study quantum physics, it shows you beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you already have a, an investment in the outcome of the research, you've already tilted the right. research. There's, you know, they show that with double split experiments. If the scientist is looking for particles, he gets particles. If right. he's looking for waves, he gets waves. Somehow the photon knows what you're thinking. You know, and I can right. go into that. But the point I'm of making course. is... What we're being told is vaccine science, whether it be COVID or otherwise, is not science. It's not even science. It's propaganda. Yeah. It's purchased, paid for propaganda, and it does not follow the scientific principle. And then it's published in media and put on television. And I've said this on podcasts before. I have a friend who's an agent for the FDA who has busted multiple doctors for publishing articles in major journals right. on things like vaccines, 
yet his investigation showed the research was never done. It was completely and utterly fake. And now the question I have is, how did it make it through peer review if the double standard is peer review double-blind studies? If people we don't can, have peer review, Paul. If people it's not can, a real thing. If people can fake them and end up getting busted by the FDA, what makes you think that everything we're seeing about the coronavirus or any other vaccine is any more legitimate when that's considered the gold standard? And the publications we're talking about are major publications, not pseudo We're talking New England Journal. We're, we're talking, talking uh, New England Journal of Medicine. Right. We're talking the highest standards of medicine. And they're, these guys are getting right. articles in there. Why? Because the corporations that are making the drugs own the journals. That's exactly right. So they can do what the hell they want. So, I, so I've actually, I think as, as early as May 2020, I was really becoming, um, I was starting to become a little heartbroken because I was holding out the like, okay, listen, we've got medical science. We've got, like, we are going to have publications that help us navigate this space. I admittedly was a little frightened when I heard this thing coming out. It made it sound like this is going to be terrible. And I was on paternity leave. So I went back to the hospital. There are Humvees in front. There's National Guard everywhere. People were really concerned. At least they seemed very concerned. And then in May, and, and I realized, oh, I'm eating nuts without washing my hands. Crap, you know, <laughs> maybe this isn't as big of a deal after all. But I, I digress. The uh, Lancet, which is arguably the most prestigious medical journal on the planet, published a, uh, a study that had was was meant to demonstrate that hydroxychloroquine does not work. Now, I also don't think ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are things I'd want to put in my body, but that's a bit of a, a side note. This study clearly showed, based on a study of nine over 90,000 people in something like 600 countries, something like that, or, or I'm sorry, 120 countries um, in, in, on every, on every uh, um, continent, that hydroxychloroquine was did not demonstrate any benefit, right? It's not true, though. Well, okay, so... But the, it doesn't matter even if it was true. The Lancet published this, and nobody knew about a study that looked at 90,000 people in a randomized controlled trial. That's a lot of people in a study. How right. do you do that? Exactly. That's a, that's a, that is a feat of research. So people were like, well, is this, are you sure about this? And then the, the, uh, the editorial board of The Lancet retracted it. It's still available online. I have it linked in my essay that I wrote on my, on my blog. And it's retracted. It's like, sorry, we, we, we didn't realize that, uh, you know, we weren't able to corroborate some of the evidence. It's like, how, at, at this moment yeah. in time, how are you, the Lancet, going to publish a study that is so clearly fraudulent, even to a layperson? And, and that really rattled me. It was like, gosh, what on earth? And of course, the New England Journal, a former editor, had come out a long time ago saying, these articles are completely bought by the yeah, industry. Yeah. There's a whole book called The, uh, the Illusion of Evidence, Evidence-Based Medicine that you would appreciate. It's about 150 pages of, like, from an attorney's standpoint who was trying to argue on behalf, I think, of a drug manufacturer, hey, your, your, your data doesn't really work out here. And they're like, oh, you know, that was ghostwrited, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so anyways, uh, these little mini stories are not to say whether I think what I think about coronavirus, I personally am not worried about this. I think that we've been, I think that, I think that we're being challenged by a narrative that has carried people lemming style in one direction. And anybody who's willing to step outside the bounds and to say, wait a second, but what about this thing or that thing? Or your mom sticking a magnet on her arm at the injection site and it's sticking and trying to flip itself. <laughs> that there's some sort of paramagnetic property now at that injection site. I am, if I am a scientist... Not if I am a good boy or a bad boy. If I am a scientist, I don't care what you guys say. I don't care what my nursing staff says. I don't care what the president of you know, the United Arab Emirates says. I 
need to ask the questions and I need everybody to understand that that for us to be asking questions, for anything to be censored by, by merely asking the question, we're in a really, really challenging space because this is not medical science any no, longer. Mm-mm. No, This is a perversion of what we used to call science. It yeah, is. That's the new name. Scientism. Yeah. Scientocracy, which is a... Uh, uh, it's a mix of fascism and technoism mm. and control. Right. You know, it's big money, big big uh, technology. I was right. going to say science, big money and big technology, right. using science to manipulate the minds of the public to justify or facilitate or scare people into buying something that makes just a very few people very, very rich. Now, all that was very beautiful, but I was actually referring to all the vaccines that they try to give babies. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's COVID is actually just fresh on my mind, of course, and we're not out of this thing yet. Um, But, you know, then, then, so the reason I kind of told that was actually to preface that if, if we can't really trust the medical literature for, for what is safe or unsafe or whatever, then Then we can't trust it. Then we can't trust it. I mean, you guys have just shot yourselves in the foot because now even me, who I was very much evidence-based medicine, does it does it make sense to do this or that in birth, blah, blah, blah. I still do practice that way also because I've had some experience to corroborate what the literature shows, does or doesn't work. And some things I just I just throw the literature out the window. But if you're telling me that that this type of behavior is happening and it's becoming more and more apparent that this is potentially, if it's in the Lancet, it's everywhere, then I'm not so so sure that I can rely on any of your safety data mm-hmm. for vaccines. And if, and I have many, many friends who also have had their kids vaccinated, but they're like, man, I don't know what to do because our friends and friends, like all these other people, they said that the vaccines kind of changed their kiddo around. Oh, you know? they do. And We've it, noticed it for of sure. Course, mm-hmm. but, but people aren't paying attention. They're just so uh, concerned with asking questions, yeah. losing their job, losing whatever. That, you know, you've, you've sacrificed all of that time, all of that expensive education in order to just be a good boy. Yeah. And, and that we, we need less of that. We really you know need what? people to ask questions. You just said something important. In order to just be a good boy, and the world is suffering because there's not enough men around to do the work of protecting people. Amen. Paleo Valley makes some incredible superfood bars that are a lot different than what most people think of as a superfood bar. I've got Autumn Smith, the creator of their superfood bars, right here to tell you about them. Autumn, what is so unique about your awesome superfood bars? Well, our superfood bars are unique because not only do they not contain refined sugar or GMOs or any of the freaky additives that you'll find in most bars or gluten or anything, but they're just whole foods. They're low in sugar. They're made with superfoods like ginger and broccoli and acerola cherry and collagen from grass-fed and finished animals, which we all know is like a fountain of youth. And so the best part about them, though, is probably the flavor. They come in chocolate and apple cinnamon, and we have so many more delicious flavors to come, and they're easy to put in your bag to feed for you with your kids. And I hope you love them all as much as I do. All you have to do to get access is go to paleovalley.com, and you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase C-H-E-K, 15, and you can get 15% off. And I hope you love them. That's awesome. And just so you know, that's P A L E O valley.com. And I know you're going to love Autumn's Superfood Bars. 
one of the things that I saw Zach Bush talk about and several other doctors is what in the hell is wrong with medical doctors who are not standing up about the truth of this, who are not honoring the Hippocratic Oath. I can't remember the doctor's name. What's the Texas doctor? Oh, uh, oh it's uh, McCulloch, Peter McCulloch? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's a cardiologist? He, yes. Yeah. He got pissed in one of the videos. He said, this is unacceptable. This is Ab- negligence. This, this is, is negligence. And he said, this is not even a vaccine. It's a tracking device. And it should not be put into kids. It should not be put into pregnant women. In fact, it shouldn't be put into anybody And he was very frank about the fact that how can medical doctors just stand back and watch this and put this on death certificates unethically? I mean, that's a totally separate conversation. As a hospice doc, it's like COVID-19 did not kill a person who's on medication to help stimulate their heart beating. Motorcycle accident. They had COVID positive swab. We're going to call this a COVID death. Are you in, are you kidding me? I mean, this stuff is everywhere. It's it's right out there in the open. And and there's another factor. Nobody knows who's positive right. of COVID because the PCR test doesn't even freaking work. It was not designed for that. It's well, That's well, right. the owner himself, I've seen video footage of him saying Carrie it is Mollis. not a diagnostic right. test. Right. Yet right. the whole facade is based on tests done with the PCR test. Right. I mean, that's like, it's got a 90% false positive and a 60% false negative rate. Right. Okay. Okay, good. Uh, you're coming to a doctor to get a diagnosis because you're in pain, and the doctor's track record is that he got an F in medical school, and only one out of ten cases he diagnoses correctly. Are you going to believe him? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to find a better doctor? <laughs> yeah, right. So let's just right. make it the U.S. and the world standard to use that doctor to govern the entire right. world's orientation toward a virus that nobody's ever seen or doesn't even know if it's real. Right. So as far as I'm aware, it hasn't even been sequenced. I've been looking very, very deeply. I've gone, people have sent me emails all over because I wrote the essay. They got pissed. They sent, but what, of course it's been sequenced. Here's this article. And they're all like referencing these other articles from other, so that were published in 2016 and 2018. It's like, guys, you're not doing the work. No, I don't have the answer. I, I really don't. Mm-hmm. But if you're, you're, you're not doing the work, like it is our civic duty. If it's other people's civic duty to get a vaccine. Okay. It's my civic duty to to speak out when I see that the scientific method is not being applied and we're not being allowed to ask questions. Therefore, what on earth did we do all that training for? Right. Just because you have MD does not give you clearance to be, you know, admonished of any sort of, or, or, or to be forgiven. It's not supposed to mean mind dead, you know? <laughs> mind, <laughs> mind dead. Oh, that's what it stands for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Cool. So, so, to, so to answer your question about vaccines and, you know, the vaccine in, in pregnancy, the COVID vaccine, Absolutely not. I say absolutely not because we're uh, we're still we're still uh, shaming women for taking sips of wine in pregnancy. And now ACOG came out within a month or two and said it's probably safe for all pregnant women. Absolutely, we need more information. Right, hands down. But all the other vaccines now, I have taken a step back and it's like, gosh, I trusted you guys and mm-hmm. you have blown it with me. Yeah, so the scientist is coming out yeah. and. Yeah. And so it's, that's a tricky one. That's a really tricky one. Science is the genuine pursuit of truth. That's it's right. It's not supposed to be marketing. An exploration of truth. That's exactly it's right. It's not supposed to be, how can we sell shit? And, you know, Angie and I went through all sorts of hell with the vaccine thing, but, you know. And my, I stood up for, for you guys in the hospital yeah, with the pediatrician. And, she was know, not happy with me. Yeah. And Dr. Sherry Tenpenny was one of the world's leading experts on vaccine science. Uh, 
we hired her as a consultant and said, what should we get? She said, none of them are safe. Don't do any of them. And she gave us very comprehensive. And I did a podcast with her, as you know, three hours. Yeah. yeah, it was a great podcast. And so you're talking about making a decision that is the life of your child. And one of the first things Angie and Penny and I noticed when we started taking Mana to the park, and now both of them, is that the kids are like... Delayed. They seem to be very delayed and there's something wrong with them. And Neurologically we, not there. It's like when you say, what's the common denominator here? Well, yeah, they're eating junk food. But a lot of kids that eat junk food that haven't been vaccinated aren't delayed. The more vaccinations I've seen kids get, the more motor skills development and cognitive development they don't have. Mm -hmm. And we've had kids at the, at the park that are like four, five, and they're still not able to do what Mana was able to do it too. Many times parents have come to Angie or me and said, how old is your child? I remember when we were having Zed in the garden here. I don't remember the lady's name, but she had her child that was older than I think than Zoe. Mm -hmm. I think six or eight months older or a year older than Zoe. And Zoe was on the trampoline all by herself. Just and She can jump like four feet up <laughs> in the air and she's only, she's not even two yet, right? Yeah, yeah. And she rocks on that trampoline. And the woman came up to me. She goes, Paul, she goes, how old is your daughter? I said, I think she's 17 months. She goes, oh, my God. She goes, you know, I've been thinking maybe there's something wrong with my daughter. Because she can't do any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, she can't Zoe jump. had more of a vocabulary than her daughter. Yeah. And, you know, sentences. And her daughter couldn't do any of that she stuff. She could barely climb wow. upstairs or a ladder or anything and i said did you have her vaccinated yes i did mm. i said well angie and i've noticed that the more vaccinations go into kids the more disabled they become yeah. and so you know that's why i brought the thing up because the, here's here's another thing like you know when i was in the hospital the nurse started trying to go at me tooth and nail and Angie to do vitamin K. And I said, like, wait a minute. We evolved through nature for approximately 2 million years, depending on whose research you read. Nobody needed vitamin K. You're telling me that my child might bleed to death because it can't coagulate if I don't give it synthetic vitamin K. Yes. I'm like, okay, so, so that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. yes. <laughs> so what you're saying is nature completely fucked up, but somehow we all managed to evolve in an environment with wolves, tigers, bears, lions, sharp sticks, sharp objects, and dangerous stuff that makes this world look like a joke. And all of a sudden now we're in the safest environment, but you got to <laughs> inject my kid with a synthetic agent. Yeah, no thanks. And I said to her, Do you know the side effects? She said, No. I said, Bring me the box. First side effect, liver failure. Okay, I said, good. Now, notice that they get worse as we go down right, the line. Right. So you want me to give my child something that takes the likelihood of it having one of these symptoms from a mild to mm, non-existent right. risk to a real probability. Right. Because we do not know how that child's body is going to react to that until it's in it. I said, do you realize... If I did that to my child and it killed my child, I would never be able to forgive myself yeah. or you. Right. Well, so so listen subtly to the language that they use to tell you about that, right? It's it's the same as the healthy baby, healthy mom, healthy baby. Let's say that I'm a little concerned about how labor's going, right? I might say, you know what, Angie, I'm, I, 
I'm not really feeling so good. Of course you want like a healthy baby right after this. So (laughs) why don't we just do a Mm C-section, right? And that's common language. They don't give the numbers. They don't actually talk about what's the risk, right? But, you know, people who have had a history of a prior C-section, you know, have a risk of the uterine rupture, uterus rupturing at the prior incision site. And so that risk is 0.4 to 0.9%, somewhere in there. So it's less than 1%. Mm -hmm. So if I say, I don't think that you should have a home birth because I'm worried about your risk of uterine rupture. Yes, mm-hmm. we've heard that. What and about we heard the that from 99.9? My cousin, who's a medical doctor, there too. There you go. Mm-hmm. Right. So, what about and the. She told that to my mother, which scared the hell out of her. And it was like, oh my God. And that's why she actually wanted you to be in the, to hospital. Be the hospital. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, the same goes with the vaccine. What about the 99% chance that something isn't going to happen? But hey, look, here's a whole bunch of other things to make your risk benefit analysis a lot worse. All the side effects that nobody even talks about. Mm-hmm. So, that's not informed consent. Mm-hmm. That is coercive language. And and the problem is that medical professionals from from nurses, you know, from from LVNs, like licensed vocational nurses through RNs, NPs, MDs, whatever, even the best surgeon in the world, nobody is actually training us on informed consent or mm-hmm. educating us on a patient's right to refuse medical treatment. It's just if you don't do this, your baby will die or whatever yeah. else. And yeah. and so we, you know, we we I are had my original doctor when I when Mana was born, I went to a regular doctor because there's the insurance and paid for him and mm-hmm. wellness checkups. And he was like, you didn't get the vitamin K injection? I'm like, no. He goes, you need to schedule an appointment, go immediately from here to the hospital right now and get that. And he was like, so like putting the fear of God in me. I'm like, what? And I was like, freaking out. I called my midwife. I'm like, he's, I was like, you know, you just had a baby. Your hormones yeah. are all, I'm like oh, all yeah. crying and stuff. I'm like, he wants me. He goes, Angie. Am I, yeah, he goes, are you breastfeeding? Am I, yeah? She goes, well, you're giving vitamin K every day, so just go home and breastfeed That's a your fat baby. soluble. <laughs> yeah. So she goes, just go home and keep on doing what you're doing. And I'm like, sure. thank you. But it was sure. like, I mean, and I have all this education behind me, and he was enough to scare me to the point where I almost thought of going, because I'm like, right. you you need to go. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, he's a time right. bomb waiting to happen. He's going to die. His head's going to just explode. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then it's yeah. like the vaccine story. I'm like, no, no, we're doing that. And he brought all the list of literature in it. And he's like, which ones are the most important? And circling the ones that are the most important. And then bringing it home with me and then saying, reading it when I came back. He's like, no, which one? He goes, well, you need to at least start. And he was like trying to get me to do diff- just one. At trying to time. compromise. Yeah, yeah. compromise. Yeah, and sure. like, well, let's do this one. And I'm like, did you not hear me? I just said none. And it was like, it was just this pull tactic. Like, we're going to just do it this way then, or we're going to, we're going to scare you that way. And I was like, right. Right. it was mind boggling. Right. It was yeah. scary. And I'm like, I stopped yeah. going to him and I'm, he's like, oh, I want, he, he would, he got so weird. This doctor, he would call me at the house and, and like, he was surre- I mean, so it tells you he's genuinely like, he's been so, he's so, so conditioned. Yeah. That yeah. He would, you know, call me at the house to, you know, concern over the child and stuff. Right. And finally I'm like, I stopped seeing him. And he's like, and he got so upset that I stopped seeing him. I'm like, right. I can't, yeah. I can't see. You know, not to mention the fact that you're holding your little girl down. While a stranger in a mask now with a big face shield or whatever is coming at them with a sharp thing and hurting them. Yes. And they're looking at you for, for, for help. help. And yeah. you're going, you're letting this man do this? Yeah. Amen. I mean, and there's, and I have other theories about bombarding the immune mm-hmm. system, right? Mm-hmm. Like if it is a good thing to do, why are we giving them in this giant, this like compressed period of time mm-hmm. and telling your immune system from day one, you need to be hypervigilant because everything is out to get you. It's no wonder we have such an you know, issue with autoimmunity and whatnot around, mm-hmm. especially amongst the privileged world where everybody He's getting a million vaccines. So one of the things that concerns me too, and and uh, I've seen research on this, they've looked into a lot of these vaccinations, not the COVID, but just the vaccinations they give kids. And I found a research study that showed they found metallic elements that were not on the periodic table. They could not identify what? them. Yes, they wow. did not know where these things came from. So the only thing that it could be is that some very high tech 
manufacturing process that's producing some kind of an agent that's used for something that we don't know about. But to the, the scientists that did the investigation to find out what was in these vaccinations themselves were shocked wow. because they could not yeah. identify it on the periodic table. So unless this is parts of an asteroid from the moon <laughs> or something, but you wow. know, we're yeah. dealing with, you know, we're dealing with vaccines that have ingredients and if they're not telling us the truth about that, I mean, look at food labeling. They don't have to tell you what's in the yeah. food. So, and the generally guarded as safe law means there's a million things they don't have to tell you about. Yeah. And so, the the reality of it is, is that there's so much secrecy and so much covert activity inside the medical system, inside the food system, the legal system, the yeah. the the money system. I mean, the nice thing about the pandemic for me is it's really bringing the corruption to the surface. Oh, yeah. It's mm -hmm. as though the unconscious, the shadow of humanity is <laughs> That's right. finally mm -hmm. That's right. emerging so yeah. we can all see it. So true. And the sad part of it is the real research is going on. And whoever got that vaccination is now in a laboratory experiment. Yep. And the statistics so far are not looking good for the experimental outcomes. Yeah, my mom yeah. walks around with this magnet now and goes to her friends and shows them how it sticks to all their arms too. Yeah. And they're like, wow, I gave some to my brother. And he said he's tested 37 people and they have all stick. I'm like, he's like, this is not just maybe kind of, sort of. It's like everybody. Everybody's getting it, yeah. Yeah, yeah you sent me those magnets. I need to start. <laughs> testing, because you'll be surprised. He's like, he was sending yeah. me picture after picture after picture. And after a while, he goes, oh, screw it. He goes, Angie, I just tested 37 people. And he goes, my God. A, and he goes, this yeah. is uh, crazy. Yeah. And he goes, so people are going, why is this happening? And my mom started doing it to her doctors and showing showing them in, in front of them. So they're like, why is that happening? She's like, you're the doctor. You should be telling me. And they're asking my mom for answers. And she's like, I'm just showing you that it does. And they're like, I didn't know that. And that's the sad thing is they don't have time to research all this stuff. Yeah. So they're just yeah, sure. going with they're what they're told. They're a part of the system. No. They're a cog in no, the wheel. No. I hate to interrupt you and you. <laughs> they choose not to have time. Well, but that's exactly If but you're going to take the responsibility of putting something into someone's body that can help them or kill them, you better fucking have time to know what you're doing. Right. Because if you don't and someone comes back and sues you, your But you know, see, they get caught up in the system. Like, you yeah. know, he was, uh, Nathan was saying, he was like, you have to see 21 people a day and you have all this time. And he's like, then you go home, you have to eat, you got to go to bed, you got to go back to work. Doesn't and they're, matter. And they're, they're doing it on purpose to make them Maybe. so busy that there is no time to do the research. They're they, just they trusting. Want, they don't want you to have time. You know yeah. they, they're tr you're making, you know, say, I trust the system and I've been indoctrinated in the system and I'm going to go with it. And they are not... I can thinking outside the box because list. they don't get bonus points for that. Yeah, yeah right, right. There's no incentive for that. <laughs> yeah, there's no yeah. incentive. So I, I can that. give you both a list of at least 40 doctors that I know that forced themselves to be disciplined and disciplined enough to investigate things and found that the whole medical system was a complete fucking lie. I got book after book in my library. That is a cop-out. That's like saying, I don't have time to love you, Angie. I'm too busy. <laughs> Or I don't have time to wipe my ass. I'm sorry I smell so bad. <laughs> I'm a busy guy. Right? We, if we don't have time to protect life, we don't have time to live. I don't care. A doctor is in a privileged and critical position, and they hold the balance of life. To tell me you don't have time to investigate what's really going into a COVID vaccination or any other injection... Well, I don't even know if it's that they were actually thinking it that way through. I think they yeah. just 
they were just doing what they're told. So they weren't thinking anything that's other than, but even, now they are. Like that's I worse. think it's great that my mom is going to the doctor and showing them because yeah. that's got them to think going, wait a minute, what the hell? I haven't seen this before. I, I think to your point, I don't even think they don't know what they don't know. I think that that's really where it's at. And that's yeah. that is probably the most tr- troubling thing for me. That's the most discouraging part for me. Is that it isn't even like a, well, I probably should, but I, I just don't feel like it. Or they're not paying me to do research. It's that they don't even realize that this to. is actually your job. Well, this is the role that you play in society. Is you're the healer. Mm-hmm. Belief and is a very high form of ignorance. I, Amen. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. You know, you can believe in God because we can't prove that God exists or doesn't exist by research. So there is a place where belief has a place. If you don't want to believe in God, great. I tell people you're on probably pretty good footing there. In other words, getting indoctrinated into a religion and a God that'll burn you in hell is far worse off than believing that there is no God. So, But when it comes to belief that stops you from investigating the things that are critical to your children's life, to what they're eating, to what doctors are doing, to what surgical procedures are being used... And the long list of other things, when it comes to believing that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is really all about taking care of the planet and filling the sky full of aluminum and chalk dust and the long, long list of other things, believing is a high form of ignorance that can get you and the planet killed. If we don't bring science back and put it forefront, we're all fucked dead (laughs) dead because Mm -hmm. we got too much power to play around with just belief if you believe you can survive the third world war with nuclear strikes then you are a fool if you believe that that covid is a real medical issue and that we're having this spontaneous emergence of something like polio then you're another fool right i mean you don't have to be very smart to start just looking a little bit. And when I've done at least 350 hours or more of investigating into this COVID, the day that this happened, I said to Angie and Penny, this is the biggest scam that's ever hit humanity. You watch and see, we're about to be put into an invisible jail and this is just the beginning of it. I smelled this fucking rat right out of the box. (laughs) And that, made me nervous because I'm a man who's all about freedom and I'm an American and Americans at their hearts are rebels. That's why we're here. We crossed this world to get here. What's America made of people that came from everywhere else. Why? Because they wanted something new. They wanted something of their own. They didn't want to be controlled. They didn't, this is, this was the land of the free and the brave, but what does it become? The land of the brainwashed and the lazy. When this whole thing started, I started doing research and it didn't take me minutes to find stuff that let me know exactly what was going on from very intelligent people. So when people tell me they don't have time or they're too busy, I say, good, then join the experiment because they're looking for people just like you. Well, you know, real, real research, if, if anybody out there wants to, to really understand what it means to explore truth, you don't need to be in a lab using pipettes. You go and you get yourself the, the journal article in question. You go and you read through it, and then you go to the back, and there's 100 references, right? Any New England journal article has 50-plus references. You go and you read those. I do. And then you take those articles, and you read their references. That's 
that's really the exploration of truth. So, mm-hmm. so when, when medical doctors say, well, we rely on the colleges to make these decisions for us, and an OBGYN hears that ACOG is saying, it's probably cool in pregnancy. You have to then pause as an OBGYN, pause and think, I have to recommend this to people to put into their bodies. You can't uninject a vaccine. Is this something I really feel comfortable with? That was a guideline from ACOG. Is this something I'm really comfortable with? And, and you're right, Paul. It, if, if you don't have time, then, then you need to find a new job because this is your job. Especially this is the role. an RNA vaccine, which has right. never been done before. Right. This is like a completely novel technology. When you put RNA in your body, you're never the same again. Right. You are no longer the same person. You're talking about genetically modified organisms. You're talking around. about <laughs> a transhuman endeavor here. We're not just talking about a shot with, uh, you know, uh, a typical vaccine here. We're not talking about giving you some flu virus. Right. We're talking right. about something that goes into every single one of your cells and repeats itself over and over again until every one of your cells is something else that is not in your genetic tree. Right. Nor is it in the history of humanity. We are changing the entire concept of what it means to be a human being. And people are just lining up. For free ice cream, of course. For free fucking ice cream. <laughs> Lottery tickets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, okay. And then you're going to criticize guys like me and say that I'm an anti-vaxxer and that I'm dangerous and I don't wear a mask and that I'm starting a cult. I'm like, uh, I got news for you. I'm saying look carefully and don't believe everything you see because right. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but for about the last 2000 years, this shit's going on all the time. Right. Right. So right. here you are hook, line and sinker believing God will burn you in hell. You believe that what you read on the package is true. You believe your sports bars are good for you. You believe the drugs that have gotten you nothing but sick and more diseases are good for you. When are you going to fucking wake up and grow up? And grow it's up and little, show little up. Little children walking around, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. you know that's what Ken Wilber says. Wake up, clean up, grow up, and show up. Yeah. It's fucking time, pal. It's time. That's right. And I'm telling you what, we don't have a lot of time left. I don't mean to be a fatalist, but look, the planet's not in good shape. Humanity's not in good shape. Have you noticed what it's like to try to get help for any service we can't get our refrigerator repaired right. We can't get software help on the phones. These girls are on the phones for hours with banks and with uh, computer people. No one's doing their job. Right. Everybody's right. lost. Nobody remembers anything. I mean, I have had hundreds of people tell me, like, how do you get anything done in the world anymore? Well, you don't because people <laughs> have lost their sense of what it means to be an adult, what it means to participate, what it means to earn a living, what it means to eat well, live well, play well, sleep well. And it's now a bunch of automatons walking around that look like human bodies that are drugged to death and don't even know what life is all about. Right. Looking and, for the answers from some governing body that's going to yes. give them the magic's answer to life. And mm-hmm. Yes. And forget Carl, to live. Carl Jung calls that the per eternus archetype, the eternal child. Oh, wow. Hmm. So it means forever the child. Well, guess what? When you were forever the child, there's always a pimp or somebody ready to take advantage of you. And we've known that throughout history. And right now, I don't care. If If you are just now beginning your life as a parent, you better do the research and you better find a Nathan Riley to look after you and protect you. 
because I remember, what was this guy, the one doctor you went to, you said he was an ex-Navy SEAL? The one for um, Manas doctor? You yeah. said he, he was on you so heavy, oh, yeah. practically the one made you cry. He was rude to you. Was that the one? Mm -hmm. I wanted to go choke that guy out. Like, that is not being a doctor. That is... Uh, worse than hard pressure selling tactics he was even saying stuff to her that was making her question her authority as a mother her, her the validity of her mm -hmm. being a mother mm -hmm. and you know i'm like who in the hell talks to my wife like that i'm gonna go down there and i said if he does that to you one more time let me know i'm gonna drive right down there and he is gonna meet well, I just said there's not going to be another time because that was just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, that sounds I, after bad twice, enough. I was like, we're yeah. done. We're yeah. so yeah. done. Yeah. It's going to be the 82nd Airborne Division against the Navy SEALs. And so far, <laughs> um, I've never been beaten any athletic competition by a Navy SEAL. Uh, and I'm sure the Navy SEALs are better shots and all sorts of good shit than me. Yeah, fuck the Navy SEALs. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody's got their gig. I'm just saying... I don't give a fuck if he's a Navy SEAL. If he's abusing my wife and, and making her feel insecure about her mothering when he's there to support her and give her options, then he's going to meet the devil. So, so you know, the, the, the general approach in finding somebody that will work well with you from the medical side, right? Like, I still love working with clients. Coming to work with a doctor doesn't necessarily mean that you're, 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 giving over all of your freedom to somebody to tell you what to do. When, so, so if you're out there looking for a physician, it doesn't have to be me, it could be any physician. If, if they're not engaging you with a, a, a decision-making process and then providing you information to help you with that process and then supporting you after you make your decision, whether you go along with them or they refuse that treatment that you've recommended, you got to find a new doctor. I mean, we, we need to yeah. stop just also accepting, like you said, two times was enough, I'm done. Yeah. We need to stop accepting bad doctors like yeah. there's a lot of good people out there doing medicine maybe not as many as we would like and hopefully i can get more people to come over to this side um especially maternity care but gosh there is a there, there is a lot um there's a, there's a lot of people out there go in and go and find that person if it has to be something remote let's do that you know mm -hmm. but but we need to stop also accepting that this is just the way it is yes right. that in, yeah. in and of itself is like it's defeatist it's fatalistic Let's move on. Let's start it. Let's mm -hmm. let's find this new paradigm and let's actually embrace a new way of healing. Hey, as much as I'd love to talk to you, we've been going for how long now? Three hours. We've Three been hours? Yeah. My diaper's full. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mine's about to be full. But, um, you know, we can, we can do more, uh, another podcast uh, on some, because a lot of these other issues. Yeah, we didn't we even get to a lot of stuff, yeah, did we? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of great stuff I wanted to talk to you about, but we can do more because these are really important issues. But, you know, first of all, I, just, I, I think Angie, I speak for Angie and, and myself and, and Penny, because she's, you know, a mother of, of the kids too and has interacted with you. I think that uh, it's really important for us to say thank you to you again, because it is your willingness yes. to honor our requests to do the research, to be a doctor. For us, it was like, wow, we found, we thought we had a good doctor, but we found a better one, you know? So, um, that's my pleasure. I, I, I'm so happy to have gotten to know you. The, yeah. The, the divine plan brought us together. Yeah. And, absolutely. um, and we, we certainly have Everything a lot in happens common. happens for a reason. That's so right. I was like, I didn't yeah. want to go to the hospital, but I'm glad I did because we had a great relationship and we built that. And so it was great. Yeah. 
and your blood pressure normalized right away. So it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're now branching off into consultations. You're doing some work on your own to help people. Um, you're offering an, an initial, is this a one hour consultation? How long is a consultation? You know, I, I like to tell people expect at least an hour, yeah. but sometimes you have to dig a little deeper. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even in our first meeting, I was sitting there with you for a couple hours as we kind of figured out, you know, what we're going to do. So I, I always tell people at least an hour. Sometimes it can go a little longer than that, but mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty comprehensive. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty mm-hmm. of, of what ails you, including some of the HAQ questions, some of those the, the questionnaires I picked up through HLC training um, and getting getting to their story. You know, I mean, I think that's important, an important part of healing that's been lost. So. So, I don't know, anywhere from one to three hours. It really depends on right. the person. And that's another thing. Here's Dr. Nathan Riley, who went through holistic lifestyle coach training at the Czech Institute. Yeah. Now, that's impressive right there. I know we've had quite a number of doctors over the years, but compared to how many there are out there, it's not very many. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I've never had a doctor go through HLC training that didn't just love it. There's a <laughs> lot of new pre-med students showing up saying, yeah, you know, we're disgruntled with the, the way it's going. They're like, mm. wait, we're, we're, they're teaching us how to be sick and tired, and that's not health. So Totally dehumanizing. Yeah. 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 You can't be a human and caring for sick people if you've been dehumanized in your own training as well. Yeah. Right. 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 So you're this you just fall into the current then like the easiest path forward, right, right? Is doing what they want me to do to pass the next test. And yeah. So your, your, your fee for the consultation is three fifty an hour, correct? Three fifty an hour. And you're yeah. offering a $50 discount for any of the living 4d listeners. I think that's fair. E, that's fine. Um, great now we don't have a code should they just say i heard you on the podcast if they reach out to contact you i think that's great okay yeah and then i'm um, a simple man (laughs) and then you're offering a one hour free a free one hour if you buy a package of 10 hours of coaching that's right and therapy with you so that's 10 hours at at uh 350 an hour and you get one hour free and then so how do people reach you and do you have any information on a website or anything? Yeah, belovedholistics.com. I can give you the, the link and you can put it in the show notes. Yeah, That's my, my sort of landing page. It's just um, as it sounds, belovedholistics. Belovedholistics.com. And then if, is that, is there, can they email you that mm-hmm. way? Yep, yep. There's a little contact submission form okay, there. Great. Just shoot me an email. My wife's going to be helping me with uh, managing, you know, managing some of this. As I, as I officially transition from the corporate model to to really doing this full time because awesome. for all the reasons we said, I've I've just kind of grown tired of not being able to do the things that I know work. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. And so just as a reminder, not only is Nathan all the things we've been sharing, but he is a Czech trained holistic lifestyle coach. And how did you enjoy that training, by the way? It was amazing. It was amazing. Angie was my teacher yes. for HLC too. You know, I think the most important part of the training for me was that it actually gave me language that I could apply to what I was observing in my own healing practices. You right. know, I, I do a lot of moving. I'm a former Ironman triathlete, CrossFit, you know, weight USA weightlifting. I, I did a lot of stuff in my life from that side. And I've been eating healthy and thinking about water and sleep and all this stuff for my whole life. So counseling patients on that in the limited time that I did have um, was good. But then I took the training and it gave me actually a more comprehensive um, sort of vernacular to actually... Yeah. To actually apply that in in practice, in order to to um, to not seem like I'm just this off the wall, like y- you want me to do what, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So it really did, I think, help break it down into more simple language, and it, not to say that it was simple. It's it's just sort of it's just more accessible, I think. You know, yeah. when a doctor starts using the language that you guys put together in the program, so it really really helped. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. So my point is to share with the the listeners that he is 
He's the real deal. And as a as a patient of yours, I would say if anybody's listening who's pregnant, who's concerned about what the doctor's sharing with them, who's not really happy with going with the medical system and following all the rules and feeling like they're not out for their best interest, they should be looking at Nathan's website and yeah. learning and talking to Nathan. Also, for those who haven't been able to get pregnant, who need a fertility yeah. doctor. Mm. Fertility awareness, yeah, all the, the, all the natural the methods. Yeah. Now the natural methods, because otherwise the, the doctors are just going to push drugs on you and screw up your hormonal system and right. make it worse. And right, all the way up through menopause. Right. I mean, it's, that's the or full spectrum. Or if you're dying from COVID or any other <laughs> <laughs> Right. Other well, yeah, we didn't talk about the death part of this. I actually do a lot of hospice work as well, and, and that informs my, my care of people you know, who are not at the end of life. And, um, and so it's really for everything in between. I've actually done some recent consultations with people, you know, actually not to out them on the podcast, but they say, Hey, you know, my mom is going through this really tough thing. Can we talk and sit on the phone for 90 minutes? And we really just hash it out. Like, what are they telling you? What does this all mean? What would she want? What, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's, there's, there's a lot to just talking to people. I mean, we, we don't learn that in medical school. Mm -hmm. And so, and the whole COVID thing is trying to stop all that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah right? that's right it's, and it's, it's right uh, heaven forbid i put my hands on a person's skin you know because they might yeah. get some contagion mm-hmm. yeah it's and, crazy and masking kids and you it's know, crazy this yeah. is all brainwashing science unfortunately yeah. but uh well we've covered the bases and i think most people out there by now have got a pretty good handle on how i feel about the whole thing and should they lock me up for being so honest, I will have time to meditate and write letters and draw pictures for my kids. And uh, I'll be in the cell over next to you. Go look, look at my mandala. With a year of focused effort, I should be able to levitate. And I'm already a remote viewer, so I can go just visit everyone. Visit us, yeah. Walk through the wall. Yeah. 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 Sri Aurobindo got put in jail, and he achieved enlightenment experiences in jail. And Nelson Mandala was in jail. Gandhi was in jail. It's almost like you got to go to jail these days to, to be enlightened. To, to you know, <laughs> to get your first step towards being a hero. Enlightenment training. First, they lock I'll come you up, out jacked like Paul. And you, <laughs> well, only the good guys can get and out of levitate. here. Yeah. And just float out of the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. Well, what a joy! And uh, you know, for all of you listening, I hope you've enjoyed this honest conversation. And uh, I say honest conversation because censorship is very, very dangerous. Yeah. So right. we, we aren't censoring this. And um, Angie and I both felt that it was important for all of you to know how to reach Nathan because he's been a honest, loving doctor and the world's just seriously lacking that. So now's your chance before he's booked solid. <laughs> <laughs> I, that will happen. I'm sure. Um, it's been a huge pleasure guys. Thank you. Thanks Thank for having you. me in your home yeah, and absolutely. Um, it's great I'll to have you here. come back out soon enough. Yeah. Good. And one more time on the web address. Beloved, beloved holistics.com. B E L L O V E D H O L I S T I C S.com. Just so we're clear. All right, guys, lots of love. Thank you to all the sponsors for your love and support without you. I don't think I could do this podcast. Thank you for all of you that buy from the sponsors because without your purchases, I don't think I could do this podcast <laughs> because it takes a lot of time, energy, and a whole team of people to do this podcast. It really does. And uh, so I'm very grateful for the sponsors and I'm grateful for all of you. And as you know, I don't offer anything on the podcast that isn't Paul Check approved. If I won't eat it and share it with my kids or use it, it ain't on the podcast. So that's how I stand on that. I'm your screening guy, and I'm going 
going to be 60 next month and I can still do last time I counted eight single arm chin-ups and all sorts of cool shit for an old man. So there's your evidence that whatever I'm doing is working. So lots of love. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Dr. Nathan Riley. You can find Dr. Riley online at belovedholistics.com. He is offering Paul's listeners $50 off your first consultation with him. Plus, if you purchase a block of time with Dr. Riley, your first session is free. Go to belovedholistics.com forward slash check for full details. That's belovedholistics.com forward slash C-H-E-K. Follow Paul Check on Instagram at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Czech videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chekiva.com. Remember, you can read the full show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. <laughs>